Hey, Peter. Hey, Aaron. Get ready to start Trek. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Peter. You know what the trouble at Tribbles is? Uh, too much tribbling. They fuck too much. Oh, they, well, actually, they don't. Yeah, They're born say, fucked. They pretty much are just laying more. They brains. are born fucked. Peter. I mean, that's that's an interesting thing because, like, uh, it, it completely negates the chicken or the egg scenario because the chicken is yeah, the, the egg. Fr- chicken is the egg. The, the, maybe at one point back in their history. They had a fuck that literally has echoed through the eons. <laughs> the real question is what came first. It's a fuck that's gone through time with its uh, a, a copulation that, that sustained a species. I mean, I've had good sex, but I don't think I've ever had sustained an entire species for millennial sex. Chicken and the egg requires chicken fucking, right? And so in the Tribble's case, it requires food. So what came first, the Tribble or the food? Right? Yeah, the if they don't or eat, the sandwich. So pretty much the food impregnates them. Not, In fairness, not unlike some of my overweight cousins. <laughs> Most species do die out without food. That's not <laughs> specific fucking. to tribbles. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyways, yeah, we're uh, what what is this? This is a spin-off of We Love to Watch called Start Trek. This is episode seven. Uh movie sex and this started because the hosts of we love to watch aaron armstrong myself and peter moran we give like a hey yo hey oh hi <laughs> yeah there you go that was him i said do you want to give a hey yo and then i did it for you because it didn't feel like you were going to which i get is very confusing but anyways <laughs> that's an incredibly uh, that's an incredibly self-conscious seventh grader move i really appreciate it <laughs> yeah i know uh, great. Listen, my social interaction is really going to shit. All right, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't been face to face with another human being in three months. You're back um, in junior high already. I feel like I'm only back at college. I mean, I am talking about Star Trek. I never made it out um, of high school, so <laughs> <laughs> you're just uh, flatlining. No one will notice the difference when it's all over. So yeah, so this started because Peter and myself very similar taste in movies uh, liked. Genre fair like horror, science fiction, had been uh, doing the show for years and all of a sudden found out that uh, Peter had basically never seen uh, a Star Trek. Uh, any of the original 10 movies, um, any of the episodes of the show. If you listen to our first episode where we kind of go through his level of knowledge, a surprising lack of uh, just general uh, pop culture awareness. Um, And that's not uh, that I would have assumed someone who, even if you hadn't seen these things, that it would have been absorbed uh, within you just being uh, out in the, in the universe. Um, (laughs) Yes. But yeah, so we, we've been starting this journey and and how we've done it is we're, we're still in the midst of going through the original uh, six Star Trek movies, we're wrapping that up today with Star Trek VI, The uh, Undiscovered Country, the first Star Trek movie I saw. Um, and uh, and we're, we've been pairing it with an episode that has usually some level of tangential relationship uh, to, to the movie that we're covering. Sometimes it's extremely specific, like Space Seed and the Wrath of Khan, or, hey, you should probably know who... Uh, Spock's dad is, so watch Journey to Babel before you meet him in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. 
Um, sometimes it's just more, uh, this is somewhat thematically related. Uh, and this week it's slightly thematically related in that, um, it is a, um, episode that features Klingons and a very reluctant Kirk, but we've paired Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country with The Trouble with Tribbles. And also because I feel like that is a episode that, uh, is usually on, uh, most lists of top five, um, original Star Trek episodes, uh, it felt good to kind of, but we'll we'll end up doing more Star Trek original series episodes because we are eventually going to get back to Kirk and Spock um, before this whole series is over. But it felt like a good one to kind of wrap up the the run of six movies with. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll be talking about kind of my experience with this. We'll we try to save Peter's reaction to the movie and what he thought of it uh, until we actually get transition to the movie because um, because it is exciting to kind of hear. And so far, I think we can say Peter even even Star Trek Five. I feel like you had a decently good time with. I feel like uh, they, they've all been relatively uh, either real winners for you, like a Star Trek motion picture. or or Star Trek Two, or even uh, even the lesser ones have at least been like uh, that wasn't so bad. I found things to enjoy about those. Yeah, I haven't hit a I haven't hit a nadir yet. I haven't hit a true like uh, fuck this, and I don't want to keep going with this series yet. Which I thought by now in a series that we're hitting the sixth entry, I would have hit something where I'm like. Yeah, like, uh, are we sure we want to keep doing this experiment? Um, which it, it just hasn't it hasn't happened yet. Even in the more middling entries, they're still scratching a very specific itch that I don't think any other piece of media has done for me. And, and it's charming and humanist and um, progressive looking in a way that like uh, is so comforting, especially right now uh, yeah. in the middle of, of, of all this bullshit. Yeah, and I uh, we're we're gonna get into what happened, what our next few episodes are gonna be. We've always said we're gonna go through the whole series, but we also want to introduce them to the to the, the the shows that kind of inspired the movies as well. Uh, but yeah, we're really I think we're cracking through a lot of next gen episodes. Both of us are right now, oh, and yeah. even though I've seen them all, it is amazing how much I'm like shit. I want like I am I. I don't feel it in any sense of obligation, even though I've seen most of the episodes we're doing uh, somewhere between five and 25 times, because uh, even though I didn't mention this at the beginning of the show, I was – I Star Trek was one of my first pop culture uh, obsessions where I had the age and the means to, like, um, uh, get access to it. What I mean by that is uh, I was super into Ninja Turtles, too. But I, ha- I had some limits into how many Ninja Turtles I could have by the fact that uh, I was getting a quarter a week for allowance or something, maybe 50 cents a week for allowance. And um, what had, year were you raised, by the way? What, what you, I just I was only raised for one year total. The rest I was I was a free range child. Um, no, uh, I think maybe I got up to a dollar. It's like 1990, 1991. Um, and then also, like I could, but in North Dakota, I- and we've all seen Deadwood, and we know how how far a dollar could go there. So, like yeah. in four weeks, you could afford a prostitute. Uh, yeah, but I didn't. In four weeks, I could get a used, like marked down, uh, uh, tertiary Ninja Turtles character. <laughs> uh, this guy's just a guy holding a garbage can, but he's a dollar. <laughs> I'd have to so wait you even mean longer. To tell me- 
this cocksucker's got more Ninja Turtles than me. <laughs> this is 100% true, but I had a friend, this is like 1989, when I was six, and he, he was like, why, probably what it's like if my, if friends go over to my kid's house right now, where it's like, oh, he has everything that he wants. Um, <laughs> um, like, he had all the Dino Riders, all the He-Man, like, every, everything. He was I like cherished first- my single Dino Rider. Yeah, I, I mean. And his mount. He, he had them all, and he had, like, Every, like, he looked like the kid's house in the commercial. It's like, he has every play set. He has them all, like, organized. He has a, a whole basement full of it. Um, and it was like, it was like, uh, and he was the first kid that had a Nintendo, and his name was Nathan. And I would, like, go to Nathan's house, and then I would, I was like six. And then I would talk about being at Nathan's house. And at one point, I, my parents, I think, were like, I, I don't know what they were trying to do, but they they asked me... Um, well, if you like Nathan's house so much, like, can you, why don't you, we call his parents and see if you could live there? Like, as I think a way for me to recognize, like, oh, sure, I love being at Nathan's house, but I love you guys more. And apparently I was, uh, very into the idea and then very <laughs> upset when that wasn't possible. So, <laughs> don't tempt a kid like, oh, do you want all the toys and video games you can handle? Because we can make that happen. You just won't see the people that punish you quite often. <laughs> like, oh, Okay. Great. Um, so, anyways, uh, yeah. But, like, Star Trek, I was in junior high. I did have jobs. So, I was able to, like, you know, like, buy buy books, go to the library and check out books. I was reading all the novelizations. So, I was I was really obsessed and uh, have – can speak to these uh, these both uh, TV show movie series with, with little research. I remember quite a bit of of this stuff so it's been really fun to revisit it but also to introduce someone who uh i enjoy talking about uh pop culture things to the series uh and we've been trying to bring guests on to most of the episodes at least for these original movies uh guests of varying degrees of knowledge of star trek some kind of experts like myself like an andrew bloom or a uh bruce who was on our first episode uh, and some that uh, are also sort of new to the series or interested in the series or curious about the series in some way. So uh, we're joined today by Bill Fox, who's been a three-time We Love to Watch guest. Who, um, Bill, I'm, I'm going to let you talk for a while. I'm hoping that you can share with us why you wanted to be on this show. Because uh, I know that you had talked to Peter about um, really wanting to be on Star Trek. Uh, you don't remember? Star Trek. It was Christmas Prince. I actually, in my call-outs, I said I liked your Trek, Star Trek season or yeah. series more than your actual show. I think that was <laughs> what got me. I, I, do, I do remember that. I guess what I, had, what I tried to ask Peter afterwards, is it because he is learning about these movies or for the first time? Uh, it's kind of like a guide through them, or is it, um, or or have you also had a lot of Star Trek in your past? So, hoping that you can kind of share uh, your your history. Well, introduce yourself, and then share your history a little with uh, the uh, cultural phenomenon <laughs> known as Star Trek. <laughs> okay, I am Bill Fox. I am Peter's brother-in-law. Um, you might know me from other episodes of We Love to Watch and nothing else. Um, my Star Trek experience was limited at best until probably six or seven years ago. Um, one of my coworkers at my former and soon to be future employer again was kind of a closet Trekkie. So I worked in a very stuffy office with very self important people. Um, so it was 
super interesting to learn that one of these Wall Street types was a Trekkie. Um, not to mention this guy's probably one of the smartest human beings I know. So based on that alone, um, I thought it made sense that I should watch it given his endorsement. So I think I made it through all six movies. Um, this was again, six or seven years ago and I was thoroughly impressed. And then I got real busy with work and didn't watch anything for another three or four years. Um, I've subsequently watched some of Next Generation, but overall, I'm probably more in Peter's camp than yours. Although, Mm -hmm. in the first two or three episodes, I think I probably would have done slightly better than him in the trivia, having seen the first (laughs) few movies. Yeah. Uh, Well, that, I mean, that makes sense. But, I mean, in terms of the show, I just, I loved the hook. I, I, I liked hearing Peter's reaction. I, you know, I'm reminded about how enjoyable these movies are. Um, so... I'd much rather, you know, talk about something. I'm a sci-fi guy in general, so it's better. Uh, it was easy for me to hit if we're not doing Christmas movies. <laughs> well, you two loves. Uh, so let me get this straight. So we watched The Trouble of Tribbles. We'll get into that. Um, had you ever seen a Star Trek, the original series episode? Yeah. Before this? Yes. Okay. And then you you said you've watched some next gen episodes. You've not seen any of the movies? Um no. So I saw 1 through 6 and I've seen like the more, you know, JJ Abrams recent yeah. ones, but not the next gen movies. Interesting. Uh it is a weird I think an inverse in that there's a lot to like about the Star Trek original series show, but the movies as a whole um are are superior. Uh, and it's the inverse with Star Trek The Next Generation, where um, the movies have some good stuff, um, but really don't have as, as strong of a handle of the characters as the movies do for the original series. And um, whereas the show has most of the best Star Trek The Next Generation moments. So uh, it's an interesting flip. Uh, and that is why... Uh, for for the next segment of the show, we're going to be doing a lot of episodes as opposed to this little little taste. But speaking of tastes, uh, I'm going to talk about why I picked The Trouble of Tribbles, besides the reasons I just stated. And then, uh, Peter, do you want to kind of walk us through this episode? Uh, yeah. And give us your thoughts on it. So, yeah, yeah. My, main, my main reason is, um, is again, there, it's, it's really not too related to the movie as a whole. The movie, as we'll talk about, features a very reluctant Kirk going along with a plan that he's not really excited about. Trouble with Tribbles is all about Kirk being like, don't want to be here, don't want to do this, fuck this, hate. And then the other related thing is, uh, part of that is comes from his general dislike of Klingons. Now, we already spent time, I think, in Star Trek Three. the other episode we covered was Errand of Mercy, which is the first time the Klingons show up on Star Trek, the original series. Also notable for just Kirk immediately being like, fuck these people I hate them and Kirk being very unkirk like just a, and he kind of gets called out in that by the the people on that planet with like hey you guys are both being huge assholes who are 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 um are are not really like listening to the other person so here we have Kirk again running into Klingons uh probably happens about 10 times in the original series but he's annoyed he's frustrated he doesn't want to do uh, he doesn't want to go along with it, but ultimately his duty makes him put uh, his best foot forward, or I shouldn't say his best foot forward, a foot forward, um, and that kind of lack of commitment causes problems later on. So that's 
though that's kind of the um the relation to the movie but also again it is an iconic episode if you're a star trek person it's one of the most um known outside of that have you guys have you guys heard of the concept of tribbles or like seen the screenshot of you know kirk with covered in all the furry tribbles this this actually explained a lot for me it's amazing that I hadn't Googled it up to this point, but I've seen it and I did not know. And you have now enlightened me. Um, I I uh, had, because of the worst Star Trek movie I've ever seen, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, uh, f- prominently features Tribbles. And uh, the movie is very excited to feed you this fan service that if you're not uh, familiar with Star Trek at the time, as I wasn't, uh, <laughs> you're just like, all right, so the movie gets solved by Deus Ex Furball, like, or Furball Ex Machina, I should say. Like, who, who fucking cares about this weird, like, the movie gets saved by a reference point and really um, should have should have known that I should have known that we were going to get a really bad Star, Star Wars movie uh, later down the line as well. Where are the Tribbles in Into Darkness? I don't. Yeah, you're. I. I. I kind of know what you're talking about, Peter. Like I know. Like, They're used what, to save Spock in Into I Darkness. I don't even remember that. That's what? how much that movie has left my conscience. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed um, it. I didn't go back and watch it like many times like I normally would a movie I like, it. but I have no memory of a triple. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's all Into Darkness is. Is like you guys like this, right? Uh, that's be- like Peter just said. That's also what Rise of Skywalker's like. So, <laughs> don't let J.J. Abrams make second movies in a series. The first ones it, are. It fine. made me. It made me so mad because I was like, "All right, I saw the last movie. I should be the last movie, which was a reboot. I should be caught up, right?" And then <laughs> two thirds through this movie, they unveil these triples, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, like this is probably a reference to the show, but." This seems like a weird right in the middle of the third act during a tragedy feels like a weird time to bring these triple things back. And <laughs> they play they literally solve the third act problem. They yeah, they solve a very I that's the part I hated. Like Spock said, Oh wait, he's fine. Like where and we talked about that little that like you did you didn't like into darkness, but seeing the way it was handled in Wrath of Khan and Search of uh, search for Spock really lets you know, like, holy cow, could you fuck up a reboot of that storyline anymore? No, Kirk dies. Right? Uh, Kirk dies in Into Darkness. Sh- sure, yeah. I mean, it doesn't I, I, I know Spock, they're back so Doesn't quickly. Spock die in the chamber referencing Wrath of Khan? And no, because that's the, that's the twist, I think, oh. is that everyone's expecting Spock to die. Or everyone, as in that whole movie is like a, a mass market. You're like you said, reboot that's aimed squarely at disappointing fans who get all the references. Like <laughs> when when he's like, "No, actually, my name is Khan." Like you probably were like, "Sure, you can be named John. You can be named Khan. Doesn't doesn't matter. I don't know who any of these people are." <laughs> um, and for everyone else, is like, "Oh, this fucking sucks." <laughs> so it's like the opposite. It's like references not to make nerds orgasm. It's for us to like, I don't know, what's the opposite of orgasm? Poop? Just pooping the uh, other end. Too enjoyable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyways, Peter, uh, first Peter and Bill, uh, general thoughts, and then let's let's kind of walk through what happens in this episode. Crew arrives at a sort of uh, far-flung space station. It's sort of a commerce point. It's a, it's a meeting point. They're essentially uh, supposed to be guarding this Quattro Triticale, which is a specifically not wheat. Okay, <laughs> space wheat. 
Okay, very fancy space wheat. Very expensive. I think it's supposed to help solve universe hunger or something. It's very important. It's Anyways. just a planet. They yeah. they make a good. They make a good. Some planets hunger. They make a lot of jokes about how it's not wheat. This is as if you cannot tell. Part of the reason this has a reputation it has a reputation for being like one of the only Star Trek episodes that's. Um, that's uh, or original series episodes. That's like supposed to be a comedy first and foremost, and it is, it's and, sometimes funny. And Kirk is specifically a straight man in this, which usually he's the wisecracking guy against Spock, who's the straight man. But in this, like Kirk, Doc, and Spock are all sort of straight men. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, no, Doc's not because Doc thinks the triples are cute. Anyways, so uh, some asshole. Well, he but uh, he still is a little bit opposite because normally you'd think he would be the most annoyed. And if not, he's just like, this is crazy. Yeah. What's yeah, going yeah. on with these things? But usually, but usually um, – uh, Doc is also the character who says, like, this is why it's important to be human, Vulcan, yeah. you other species. Uh, why don't you get that? <laughs> Even until, uh, you know, some episodes we'll get into later. Um, that only I've only watched assigned assigned credits. OK, I have not ventured outside uh, the assigned uh, assignments, I should say. Um, so anyways, so uh, on this K7 uh, space station, uh, it's sort of a commerce point. It's a meeting point for, uh, you know, just space travelers. It's got a bar. And in this bar is uh, there's a there's sort of slimy uh, <laughs> snake oil salesman guy who goes into the bar and sells the sort of bartender dash barter. He's very like he's like an RPG character. <laughs> he's like a Skyrim character. Where he's yeah. like, yeah, I sell <laughs> drinks, but also I will buy all all of your goods i need 100 swords right now so i'm glad you brought in 100 swords like that that sort of thing uh he's like yeah sure i'll buy triples and sell them to people um and so the the deal is that uh he's this this uh this slimy guy starts selling triples to a few different people on the station and they start to multiply like crazy they're 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 like super rabbits they they multiply at a rate that's uh absolutely abhorrent to any but the ecosystem that they evolved within so um they uh in one segment of the plot um there's uh also a klingon crew that's getting um wait they're they're on shore leave in a school cafeteria essentially this bar looks not fun um <laughs> it doesn't seem which, like a good place to you guys drink in this yeah. bar no i drink it, anywhere right. just to be clear <laughs> cafeteria <laughs> like, is right um but i i like, do really going, you, like it's star wars you walk into the cantina with yeah. luke and you're like i would love to drink in the cantina and like half of the mandalorian is is that just like that feeling where you're like oh my god i'd love to just like find a, a little like a corner seat and hang out there this bar is a school cafeteria with open tables absolutely no coziness it's completely overlit there's no music and mostly people just doing business around you <laughs> yeah and it's uh that is something they fix in the movies and in Next Generation and, like, from there. Like, if you're at a bar, they make it a little more appealing. Having the holodeck on Next Generation helps quite a bit. We're like, I know. Let's just do a bar. <laughs> and then people come to the bar. Yeah, we'll go to or, a speakeasy for this this conversation. And then they yeah. walk over to the studio lot where they're shooting a 1930s movie or whatever. Um I, as long as you're talking about the Klingons being on shore leave, I do want to mention that it's so funny because the Klingons, Kirk doesn't want them there. And they're like, hey, we're just having shore leave based on, based on the treaty that we've signed. Um, 
or the the agreement that we have, we can request shore leave at any one of our stations. And he's like, fine. And then the station, the head of the station's like, you need to protect us. He's like, actually, I'm going to do the minimum requirement of two guards and my crew's going on shore leave. <laughs> I love the idea of Klingons just rolling in like, oh man, I love shore leave. I love, I love how I can just go in and sit in a metal chair and uh, drink quietly while one woman wanders around the, the space station and I speak very politely to her and... Uh, um, I like that. Uh, so the the treaty that they talk about is the Oregonian Peace Treaty. That like isn't they're not really at peace. There's more treaties that actually come later, but it's like the and I can imagine that they put it in the treaty because it was like the Federation's like sure Klingons are never going to come have shore leave at one of our stations. Uh, that's not how they are. And also, we're not going to go to one of their stations because who wants to hang around a bunch of Klingons on their station? So sure, yeah, we'll put that in. It's like being entirely in a in a bar where if you bump elbows with somebody, uh, they go, "You want to go, bro?" Like that whole deal forever. (laughs) It's kind of like someone that like if you met someone once and be like, "Yeah, you know, come up visit sometime." (laughs) They say okay. (laughs) So with all your backstory, are they truly there on shore relief? Like, yeah, they are. No. they're, oh, well, they're, they're there to fuck with. They're there to fuck with Kirk. Okay. The um, papers say shore leave, though, yeah. right? But, like, but yeah, they yeah. knew Kirk was supposed to be there for whatever reason. Yeah, that's why they. That's why they came. Um, and also, Peter, I don't know if you noticed this that the guy who plays the main Klingon is the yes. one who played Trelane in Squire uh, Gathos. In Squire, God damn it! I wanted. Oh, to, sorry. I, I wanted to. I wanted to drop that nugget. Just oh, like I was at, sorry. like sorry. I, I was like so happy with myself because I was like I was like uh, coming up with Star Trek references while I was watching the episode without googling anything, and I was like I was like oh that's Trelane from Squire of Gothos, and I was like oh shit I've got the bug this is not uh, good. Um, also, you probably you remember on that episode I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, but as long as you're talking about it, remember how he said like oh it's the theory is that he's part of the Q. Which probably means a little more to you now that I know that you've seen an episode uh, of Q. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that um, we'll we'll get to that. Uh, we'll, we'll get, get to it. Sorry, so but excited. um, but what's also cool <laughs> is uh, a thing I. Uh, so can we talk about really quickly a show I haven't seen? Um, sure, Bill. Have you seen Deep Star Six or Deep Space Six? What's the show called? Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. So it's the third Star Trek series. It's, it goes Star Trek, Star Trek: The Next Generation, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Yeah, they. Uh, you you did some research on this, I suppose. Uh, I haven't. Well, yeah, I did a, a modicum, a modicum of it. Um, so apparently, that actor William Campbell, um, he plays the same character in uh, Deep Deep Space Nine. That's the one. It's not. It's not a uh, nine. Oh no, it's nine. So it's Deep Space Nine. I don't know if you know this, but you know they did. F- so Deep Space Nine at some point, um, I, 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 I think I'm going to save this for like odds and end uh, epilogue episodes that we do after the series. But um, but there's a Deep Space Nine episode where uh, they all go back to trouble. They go back in time to the site of trouble with Tribbles and uh, they do like the Forrest Gump thing where like the it's the Deep Space Nine actors acting in. Um, the scenes with Kirk and everyone. So that's where he, the same actor came back to redo. Cause he, he comes back playing himself in the future and sends everyone back. Cool. Uh, yeah. It's an, so it's an awesome, it's an office episode. It's called more trials and tribulations. So I haven't <laughs> seen, I, I haven't seen this. That's, that's really good. Actually. I, I yeah. love the pun. Um, yeah. I haven't seen deep space nine, 
but is it like this? Is it like what there's, you know, like there's this one far flung kind of space station, different businessmen and rough and tumble types come yeah. float in and out. Like, yeah. Deep Space Nine is, um, I think oh, it's so tough. I, I think Deep Space Nine is my favorite series as a whole that Star Trek did. Star Trek The Next Generation, I, I have so much, like, love for and has some of the best individual episodes. But Star Trek Deep Space Nine was, like, a whole different turn where it, A, embraced a lot of serialized storytelling, especially in the back half. Um, and then also is about more the, oh, maybe the Federation kind of sucks in a lot of ways. And it really does a good job of exposing the underbelly. Like, so you find out about all these things and then also has this huge war and these like pivoting alliances and Worf ends up being on the show for four years. It's, it, it's really good. There's a great thing. Cause Worf is on the show when they go back and there's a great line in that where, um, they're, they go, these guys are Klingons. Cause obviously the makeup changed between the, sh- the original series and, uh, the movies and then stayed like that Ridge forehead for then on out. And everyone like looks at uh, Worf and Worf's like, don't ask. <laughs> we don't talk about. It. That's good. That's good shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just curious because it's a show that I've only heard bits and pieces from you on. But I was like, oh, a far flung space station and different weirdos float in and out of the space station. That sounds like the description that you 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 gave to Deep Space Nine. So yeah, uh, comparing something to something I haven't actually seen. Um, but anyway, so uh, they find out that the Tribbles are a enormous threat. Uh, to the space station because they're not uh, on their native planet where there's a natural predators that eat the shit out of them. So if they don't have their natural predators around, um, they are uh, they they just kind of eat until they die. Uh, they eat they they fuck well fuck with themselves um, and then make more tribbles and then they uh, they die um, and they eat all of the quattro triticali. Um, <laughs> And yeah, the Klingons have let them in to the grain bins despite the guards' attempts. Wait, they yeah, did? Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't clear. That's how the two plots kind of come together. Well, I, I knew that they were in Because the, the one one of the station guys is a Klingon in disguise who... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But they yeah. aren't doing it to get the grain. It's, it's, it's kind of how the Klingons were. Sure, we won't openly attack you anymore, but we fucking hate you and are going to do everything we can to sabotage you. Well, that's a, it's a Cold War analogy, right? Yeah, like, yeah exactly. Which is why the show is kind of funny. Because uh, Chekhov is uh, sort of, weirdly enough, the, sh- the show's progressive tendencies showing where they're like, it's so far flung in the future that Russians are buddy buddy with the most you know gung-ho americans you can find um and even the russians uh, it's kind of funny even the russians are mad at the cold war corollaries of what the russians are Uh, um (laughs) but but yeah so uh yeah essentially the the problem is solved by um uh regulation by by uh, Kirk saying, uh, hey, uh, this your small business created this problem. Uh, fix it or you go to space jail. Um, and that is yeah. how the episode ends. I also really like that uh, McCoy. So they find out about that. Uh, it's more that just the Tribbles got in there. It's that they poison the grain. Right. Like. And yes. they, they know because the Tribbles are eating but dying because um, it's food that makes you keep gorging yourself because you never feel full. And that's like the poison that how it works on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love when they have like the, the wrap up and McCoy's just like, 
over over eagerness to explain how the Tribbles that Kirk legitimately fucking hates. Like, yeah. there's never a wink and a smile. I love Grumpy Kirk. Grumpy Kirk is so goddamn good, and normally he's the, hey, where's your spirit of adventure? I'm up for anything. A three-way with a green chick and a statue? <laughs> sure. Like, yeah. And, like, so I love when, when Kirk is the one that is just, like, a, a child who puts his foot down and is like, No! I don't want to do it. And if you make me, it, like, it's like making a child, like, finally do a chore. Bill, I'm sure you can yep. appreciate where it's like, oh, okay, I'm white, but I can't re-. Like, it's it's the whole way. And, and Paul he's Rudd so- on American Summer. Exactly. Yeah. That is what it's like when you have a child that do a chore they don't want to do. And that's how, that's how, uh, how Kirk is. Uh, in those few rare occasions where he's just not into whatever's uh going on so i really like i really like that here i also like the 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 thing at the end where they beam at all the how they get rid of all the tribbles on the ship is they just beam onto the klingon vessel yeah which which is great did you so speaking of which did you guys watch past the credits for the stinger uh i don't remember usually so there's a stinger at the end of the episode um and it's just uh how the klingons solve the tribbles problem and uh, it's horrifying. They have these like bladed cleats and they're just stomping the shit out of them until they're pulp. And remember that scene in Alien Resurrection with all the Ripley clones and they're just torching. They're just torching triples to death and they make the worst sound when they're they're uh, engulfed in flames like an unimaginable terror. Um, did you guys see that scene at the end of the episode? Uh, <laughs> did you watch the remastered ones? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, no. The, I, I did watch the remastered the ones. I think they, I think they took them out. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, they took, I did not, like. Oof. I'm gonna blame Netflix. Add- skipping to the next episode. <laughs> I missed that sadly. <laughs> All of a sudden, you just see like one boot hovering over a triple, and then it, the little countdowns move to the next episode. And it's like that. That is the don't think too far ahead because it's like. Would you would you do beam them into space? No, we would never be that cruel. It's like, well, how do you think they're going to end up on the Klingon vessel? <laughs> like, it's not like they're going to be like, oh, well, I guess we live like this now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the Klingons are going to uh, make a game, a sport out of finding the most horrific way to destroy these Tribbles. Can we talk real quickly about uh, Tribbles? Um, so the, everyone keeps saying that they're, they're really cute, but they're essentially... Um, what is it? Uh, uh, they're like elephantiasis testicles, uh, but covered in fur. Um, and yeah, they, they make annoying little whining noises. Uh, and they're there's I would say they're 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 patently not cute. And since we're sort of third party observers watching the episode, I would say that this means that they must have like diabolically powerful pheromones, right? To be able to trick people into thinking these little furry testicles are, are actually cute and worth nuzzling. Uh, you know, normally we associate cuteness with, like, a face. Um, big eyes. Big eyes. Like, this big is like... Big ears. Yeah. So, like, yeah, we like how fluffy our, our, our pets are, but, like... We don't like that in a vacuum, necessarily. Well, um, we love pets, ever- though, right? I mean, I'm just assuming that it's been, like, you know, 300 years since the last Golden Retriever died. And so, like, the first <laughs> opportunity, they see, like, something small and furry. You know, it's the same reaction I- we might have to a puppy. 
I I think it's I mean it's clear why right it's like well how do we show a thousand of something like we can't put any detail into this <laughs> maybe it's just hairballs um, but having said that my daughter did watch this episode with me and uh, she absolutely wanted to know if they were real and if she could have one um, <laughs> which uh, is either because they are really cute or because she's greedy and wants everything based on all the toys of our other daughter we constantly find in her room. I love that there's an argument, speaking of, of that, like, I love that there's an argument between uh, Spock and uh, McCoy, uh, who McCoy is my favorite character. I've established that every episode so far. Um, McC- McCoy and Spock don't have the argument about whether or not triples are cute. They have the argument about whether or not anything can be cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like... Uh, you know, McCoy takes the opinion that th- that cute things are cute, and Spock takes the opinion that it's highly irrational to consider anything cute. Um, so it's it's a it's a fun uh, Spock McCoy interaction because uh, it, it uh, is a fucking uh, in- insane. Um, there's absolutely no reason for Spock to take this position. He should just be concerned about the pragmatics of getting rid of these things, right? So McCoy is your favorite character. That's a big deal. I think I heard it on one of the oh, other episodes. I love, I love, I love him. He's my favorite character. I even like him when he's space racist. It's, it's, he's really, I guess I think being, we're going to establish something over the course of this episode. I think being racist on earth is awful. It's terrible. It's one of the worst things you can be. Being racist in space is totally chill. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not saying being racist I mean, in space no, against just to be clear, humans. I care about human rights. I'm not rights. saying you get past human the atmosphere. Rights, right? I'm yeah, human not, rights. Not I'm not rights. saying you get past the atmosphere and all of a sudden you can like start like talking down to your, your fellow ISS people. Um, but if you want to curb saying, stop a Klingon, it's cool. I just – I. I the, Kling, the Klingons clearly need to be dealt with. I'm weirdly enough on Kirk's side <laughs> – through both this episode and in the movie that the Klingons probably need to be starved out. Um, well, no, that's that's too much worse. I mean, if we're going to go... I think... I think excuse racism. I am, I, am, I am not happy how much you're dishonoring David Warner's legacy. <laughs> uh, Who's your favorite character? I mean, uh, on, on Star Trek? Yes. Oh, definitely Gorka. <laughs> on all... No. Uh, no, my... I mean, my favorite... Uh, McCoy is probably like my adult favorite but it was kirk when i was younger i mean yeah like kirk i mean how is could the most it... fuckable for sure but like uh mccoy is the one who like i i want to have like romulan ale with mccoy <laughs> yeah my fa- i mean my favorite uh characters essentially go like uh like when i was younger it was kirk Riker, um deep space nine was probably chief o'brien um and then Voyager was no one. I don't know. Tom Paris. They can all die. No one on Enterprise. No one on Enterprise. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, but yeah, I liked the. Kirk was just. I don't know. He seemed uh, effortless, effortlessly cool. In a way that, like, as a you know, twelve or thirteen year old, you kind of aspire to be. So yeah. So, same thing uh, with we- same thing with Riker. Like, probably why both of those people were like. Yeah. I assume oh, I, I would have been the same at 12 or 13. I'm a Spock guy yeah. now, though. As an adult, I just... Interesting. Big Spock guy. I'll talk... I'll talk... Uh, I mean, Spock's a good person to, to be. Like, I like to tease Spock because, like... Um, He's got pointy ears. 
He's got pointy ears. Doesn't look like green God. blood. He's disgusting. Um, no, I like to tease it, which, Spock. Is, which is fine because Peter's established being a space racist is okay. Well, I think we found yeah, a new Earth theme for the episode: terrible. space racism. <laughs> if you take the show as a literalist thing, okay, it's fine. If you take the show as an allegory, obviously you're not going to like my opinion. I mean, is it really um, race? Race is bad. I mean, because it, um, it's—I guess it's it's xenophobia, but like all Star Trek is just a stand-in for yeah. No, I like, got that, other, but I don't. Yeah, you know, yeah. space is a social so, construct, right? So yeah, yeah and, <laughs> and to be honest, like Klingons aren't really the Russians. They're they're supposed to be the uh, the the quote-unquote red Chinese. They're supposed to be this like communist China threat uh, in their Klingon stuff. Um, and the the movie that we're going to talk about uh, sort of. Uh, tries to interrogate the way that the show was so progressive and humanist, but also Kirk was allowed to be a space racist. As long as you mention that, because I don't necessarily want to go back to it once we get into the movie. Um, one of the things I called out, and I think we all talked about on Star Trek 3 when we did Errand of Mercy, was that it was like Kirk came into that not believe all of a sudden throwing out all of his ethics out the door to the point that other people were calling him on his bullshit where it's like you sure obviously core or whatever that guy's name was it, i think it is core um was a was an asshole but you were an asshole without provocation like all these ideals that you hold you've thrown away before have needing to do it from just a simple like um pragmatic point of view um and instead we're just like fuck you i hate you you suck like from the get-go because of that though it didn't feel like normal kirk now granted i don't have the experience you do but like we were watching it like yesterday or what last week um it felt like a different kirk like in how overt he was and i wasn't sure if it's because he's in retirement and that's like you know you get older you get more racist or if they just needed him to play that role in the movie, and so they put his views front and center. But in, I feel like in the past movies, he hasn't been quite so overt. Well, this is the first real Klingon confrontation of any sort since Christopher Lloyd killed his son in Star Trek Three, which obviously comes up. But it, you know, he there's so many episodes of Star Trek where uh, quote unquote barbaric or aliens or other people like try to kill him. Um, and he is always looking for ways to see the good and, and make peace. That's like most of the 87 episode run, or it might be 78 episode run of the original series. Like it is, it is all like we meet someone, they're a bad guy. 90% of the time, uh, they find out that they're not so bad or here's something you didn't think of. And Kirk is Kirk is never a these these guys are just assholes. Let's fuck them up at least. <laughs> right. And but with Klingons, as shown in Aaron of Mercy, as shown in this episode, he is kind of like that. And the reason I love Aaron of Mercy that much, it's not the best episode, but I really do think it is purpose. It, it like makes a big theme out of, hey, you like liberal types uh accepting hippie type you know 
we just want the good of everyone. You are also able to have like racist blind spots that you don't that you never give these people any benefit of the doubt. You never think of them as, hey, maybe this is just a jerk I've met as opposed to like an ambassador for their entire race or something like that. And I I I like that they have kept that as a consistent theme for Kirk that he finally has to like address in this final movie. And then it does the thing in Star Trek three where well, now, even though it like uh, Christopher Lloyd's Klingon is like very much not a part of the Empire and that's established, now that kind of I don't really like these guys has turned into a little bit more uh, like true like hate. Um, and that thing that happens like if you were – that happens to a lot of people on Earth, I think, like we're like they, – they find a reason to um, justify prejudices that they already had. So, like, growing up in in the Chicago area, when certain immigrant groups would come in, the Polish, the Irish, they would uh, be competing for lower level jobs or competing for any amount of money. Over time, they wouldn't look up at the people that were already established and already sort of that were allowed to live on a, at least a, a decent strata of society. They didn't look up at them and say, you're the enemy as much. They looked at each other because they were the competition and saying, you're my neighbor from x race so you are yeah. my my enemy because we're both competing for jobs so i get mad at uh your entire race every time that i don't get a job but it becomes this it's sort of like a it's like a rivalry thing at first but then as the years go on it just it just codifies into this disgusting sort of racism uh as people get out of the the, the game as people start to pull back from the game yeah. and approach retirement in the way kirk is so like for a while it was this sort of like rivalry with kirk this chess match um, um, but then over the years, as he sort sort of start to to pull himself out of the rat race, he his his hatred for Klingons, his irrational hatred for Klingons, he has actual reason to hate specific Klingons, but irrational yeah. hatred for the race of them um, starts to codify into just this sort of bland prejudice. That yeah. uh, and and that that's that's uh, what you're saying is true, Aaron. It's 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 something that I think. It's really interesting how the movies sometimes interrogate the original show because that's – at least for me, that's what I recognized it as. Like um, – Yeah. Immigrants are really racist towards other immigrants in Chicago area. I'll be be damned about it. (laughs) Yes. And uh, the city is still um, super segregated uh, in a way that's like very embarrassing for a 21st century city. Um, with so much promise. Yeah, and it is it is that whole thing though, like yeah, with the the Klingons killing or Klingons quote unquote killing his son. It's that whole like you know, uh, a white guy keys your car or something like that. You're not like oh, this is how white people are, and then but like a black guy uh, like you know keys your car or like uh, you know runs you off at a turn. It's like this is how black people drive. It's <laughs> or, like and, or like and that's, or like a white person. Sorry, a, 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 like a person from X race does a keys your car and you see them but you can't catch them or something. And then uh, a person from that same or, or you uh, you don't catch anybody keying your car five years later. Uh, you just assume it's person yeah. from X race. Yeah, it's that whole like. Um, that because quote unquote white people are the default that like nothing they do actually uh is reflective of like who they are from an ethnicity standpoint but like 
any other people of color need to be constant ambassadors of their of their ethnicity or or culture or sexual orientation or anything else because if they do anything um they like now have the the their personal sins that weighs on the on the group as a whole and that's kind of what we're seeing here like the you know i forget what his name is in, in star trek 3 but christopher lloyd not a part of the klingon empire was actually wanted by the klingon empire uh tries to take literally tries to steal the device so that he could rule the klingon empire um and now it's klingons killed my son <laughs> like which is which is an example of that. So, but I but I don't think you could get there if you if you haven't always. I think what the movie's getting at, and why I think the movies are so good with uh, building and playing off the original series themes, like in this episode is shown, is that like he already was a space racist, but now he is literally, um, you know, like actively rooting for their demise. Like, he went from just keep them away from me to, yeah, maybe genocide. Maybe I should put this hood on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, right, I'm going to access yeah. your encyclopedic knowledge. Are there any – do they ever cover, like, inner species racism or, like, racism amongst just people from Earth? And then the follow-up question is, what is the predominant, like, default in the Federation or in space, right? Like, is – are the – Earth is a relatively small planet – and race. So like what is the predominant life form in the space racism game? You know, who is the white equivalent? Aren't Vulcans and Romulans from the same planet and sort of a split off of each other? They are, yeah. Oh yeah, so Aaron, you could take it from there, but that's one thing that I like figured out when I was I was watching the show and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of interesting that like, you know, one one race uh, on this planet went one way and then one Have race we even watched uh, I have a whole Romulan thing arc coming, Peter, for for the Star Trek reboot is oh it's because you've seen the reboot they make a point of that yeah. with with Spock sorry I'm like you say you're not going off the rails but how do you know we haven't even done a Romulan thing yet uh, oh I know liar. is that killer ale oh uh, all white people yeah. lie about what Star Trek episodes they've seen so yeah um, to to Bill's question that's that's interesting to me as well like have they addressed any sort of interspecies racism or any interplanet racism no so I mean. So, to at a, at a very broad level, and I'm I'm talking about like the concept of in canon on the show, right? Because like there there's a lot of racism or bigotry that's going on behind the scenes in both of or misogyny that's like going on that's based in the era of their times, right? So, um, the show always presented like that basically there was no such thing as misogyny, racism. Uh, bigotry, all these things were pretty well called out by name when it came to like Earth as a whole. Um, in Star Trek, going back to the original series, and then of course you're actually watching the show, which is written by people in the '60s, and you do have like these weird things of like, hey, especially from a misogyny standpoint, like um, uh, where like Kirk's like, women are so shrill. It's like, well, hold on a second. <laughs> um, but anyway, or like a, a, a woman captain. It's like, well, wait a sec. Like, but again, it's, it's, You're the, right. yeah. weirdly enough, I've seen a few episodes where Kirk is weirdly sexist. And I'm like, didn't we figure that out before we got to space? <laughs> but that's, I think Peter, you and I talked about that on another episode where it's like, 
on like on paper, these people are not that, and they talk about not being that. And unfortunately, it was still written by people of their time, and so they are uh, not that misogyny was okay, but like the general acceptable levels of misogyny as society as a whole seeps into the writing, and you you'll you'll find that when you get into. Um, Next Generation, I think the best thing that you can say of of Star Trek as a whole is that it's always had very um, high-minded ideals that may not have always – that were always uh, reaching ahead to something that maybe the society and the people writing and making the show hadn't achieved yet. So that's the very generous way, I think, or I think accurate way to look at it. So the show as a whole, though, addressed it quite a bit because the 60s was obviously – I mean, most uh, Gene Roddenberry basically made it a sci-fi show so that he could address a lot of uh, progressive issues that he wanted to talk about uh, without without with basically getting past CBS censors who were like um, apparently didn't get it. And sometimes it was very obvious. So there's there's a very famous show episode where um, called "Let That Be Your Last Battlefield," where um, they go to this planet where. The uh, half of the planet's inhabitants have the right half of their face painted black and the left half painted white. And then the other half have the left half painted black and the right half uh, painted white. And, like, they basically subjugate the other one as a way of, like – and they talk about how this is so silly and stupid and can't you see you're the same and, like, the idea that um, that kind of happens. But even, like – even other, like, Romulans and stuff like that. I don't think it's ever really addressed in this type as, like, racism. It is always based on actions. And the idea, I think, is that the Federation is always willing to uh, accept them and and consider them equals and forgive past sins um, if they stop whatever they're doing or start – you know, it's always portrayed in a way that's like, well, they're killing innocent civilians or they're stealing this or something like that, which kind of gives it the case of like a progressive like, hey, just say you're sorry. Say you're not going to do it again. We're not here to punish you. We're not the space police. But like – and why I think stuff like DS9 gets really interesting is it really – I think um, starts to go to the well. Hold on, we're hearing this story from the Federation side. Maybe that idea of like, "Hey, we're just the good guys trying to do that" has a dark underbelly, and yeah. uh, and it does. I think in most cases where you know history has presented people as the good guys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, sorry if that's a long-winded answer, but that's so- that's kind of the way that the show addresses it in general. So uh, I do have one more uh, asterisk point before I think we're pointing yeah. right towards undiscovered country, and I really want we're to make sure there, I derail yeah. an easy easy segue. Um, uh, so the triples reminded me of something from uh, Ratchet and Clank games. Bill, do you do you know what I'm referring to? <laughs> God, the, what are they? I can't. The proto pets. No, I remember. I couldn't remember the name. No, exactly. Yeah, the proto pets. Are- from going commando so they're they're more aggressive but it's essentially uh so i for uh, don't you dare i made aaron uh i made aaron play uh the ratchet and clink reboot um and in its you know whatever the sequel to the original game game number two um mm-hmm. going commando 
there's these things called protopets, which are being heavily marketed all throughout the galaxy, but they fornicate like crazy. They, uh, they're actually violent. They, they have teeth and shit. Um, and like, so like there's these, these like insane Malay battles where like they just keep populating. And you just have to keep shooting them down. Um, and that's totally a Star Trek reference, right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, like that's that's crazy. And then also like there's probably a little bit of gremlin stuff in there, like the sort of capitalism meets a cute pet, but that cute pet is not all that it seems. Um, but I wanted to note that on our Don't You Dare episode for Ratchet and Clank, like we'll talk about it more there. But like I, it's it's funny to see that connection because like in a weird way, the comfort that I get from uh, Ratchet and Clank is similar to Star Trek at times, which is that um, space is not just going to be this constant um, – constant melee of war it's it's it, it could be like uh, a thing with like tons of far-flung civilizations trying to build themselves up and then like one and, and then like one asshole decides to shit in the pot and then our heroes go and take care of them yeah uh yeah i think you'll find um star trek is so influential in like sci-fi as a whole that almost has a reverse simpsons effect which is like when if you watch the simpsons you are getting inundated with reference pop culture references that you probably don't know and so as you like get into movies and tv shows and music you find like oh that's i that's from that simpsons like you can watch dr strangelove and be like oh that scene where you know homer goes down on the beer keg is a reference to a movie i didn't know that like you know based on when you watch them and that's that's a lot of like I think how people who grew up with The Simpsons ended up, as they expanded their pop culture knowledge, realized how much of that show was parody. <laughs> like Hitchcock. <laughs> um, that's a real person and not a Simpsons episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like Star Trek, as you get into Star Trek, it's kind of the reverse where you realize how many other things that you've experienced are referencing or uh, paying homage to or taking from Star Trek. Because it really was like the sci-fi show. There, I mean, there wasn't a sci-fi show, and um, that's why it was Wagon Train to the Stars. Like it was, he pitched it as a western, and and then did it in the future where he could do aliens and other stuff. And it's why it took them three pilots to get it on the air because people are like, pointy-eared guy, too scary. Um, also, uh, uh, the first captain, Peter, we haven't talked about this because we've never done the pilot, the original pilot before there was a Kirk. But like, yeah, the original first officer, I believe, was um, was a woman. And the TV executives in the 60s were like, nope, way too high in command. <laughs> and then there was Spock, who was like a science officer. And they're like, nope, too scary for everyone. So they had to so they had to reshoot it and they actually worked that pilot into an episode of the original series where um it's, <laughs> that's it's an extremely in, that is, that's an extremely Roger Corman thing to do like uh, I shot this thing didn't make any money uh, it's not going to make me any money anyways we're using it Well actually what's so funny which is why like again you've heard of Christopher Pike right mm -hmm. in Into Darkness and stuff like that like he and he's Oh, he's in the Abrams movie. So, in he's from the original series. He was the captain, played by I believe Jeffrey Hunter in the um in the first thing they had Spock. Uh, Nurse Chapel was played the first officer, Meryl Barrett, who eventually goes on to be the voice of the computer in Next Generation, and uh, Leanna Troy's mom, uh, and then also was was Gene Roddenberry's uh, wife. Um, 
she uh yeah they they shot all that with spock and then they're like no uh no women in high-ranking roles and spock's too scary and then they redid it with another pilot with um kirk and and stuff like that and um but they eventually went back and did a whole two-part episode where uh, Christopher Pike got injured on this original pilot mission and they showed the tapes of that mission while he's at like a court-martial or something. So all of that stuff was canon that Christopher Pike had the ship before Kirk, which has been worked into every continuity now. And they're like, more Pike? We have a whole we have a whole Enterprise? Spock was the first officer or was a science officer on the ship? Like, sorry, before... The last thing I'll say, the really last thing I say, I promise, is... Um, uh, that uh, this the other reason why this I mentioned it's a comedy episode, but it also was the it also set the stage for other Star Trek uh, episodes or other Star Trek series being allowed to do straight comedy episodes like Trouble with Tribbles was always kind of the template for, hey, we can still do just sometimes a funny episode with characters we've got to know and switch up the dynamics. And that's that has produced so many good Star Trek episodes, a lot of fan favorites and a lot of things that people really like. It's rare they go to that well, but um, I, I wonder sometimes if um, – if this episode hadn't been produced, if that uh, wouldn't have been the norm. And not just in Star Trek, like uh, X-Files, like most sci-fi and horror shows eventually decide to do a comic riff on what they've established. And that was that was pretty um, groundbreaking at the time. Like it's why part of the reason this episode gets a lot of notices and a lot of like best of and most influential and stuff like that, because it. it it is rare. It was, you know, as they're still kind of establishing the rules of television in the 60s to have, hey, this is supposedly a serious sci-fi show to do a straight up comedy episode um, that riffs on all the characters and kind of makes jokes out of things and has these 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 uh, cute, uh, cute aliens that are like supposed to be kind of silly. Um, and like that definitely influenced, I think, a a trend that made some very, very good episodes of a lot of our favorite television shows. Um, yeah. So speaking of uh, space racism and it having uh, <laughs> ill effects on uh, Kirk's future, let's talk about Star Trek. Star Trek? Star Trek <laughs> Six: The Undiscovered Country. into the plot of Star Trek 6. I'm going to talk a little bit about my history with it. I'll make it brief. Uh, I want to hear Bill's history. And then we, we like to bury the lead on these. What did, what the fuck did Peter think of Star Trek 6? Um, so yeah, it's directed by Nicholas Meyer, who comes back from Star Trek 2 directing and writing and uh, being an active participant. I think a story by credit, possibly a producer on Star Trek 4, The Undiscovered Country. As you can tell, this is where the uh, the cliche comes for that the even-numbered ones are best, even though I love the motion picture quite a bit. But um, this is kind of – this is was very clearly like we got to do one more. And part of the reason they had to do one more is because Star Trek 5 was considered a failure on every level. Um, uh, uh, I 
Star Trek Five is kind of fun. We talked about it last time, last episode. But yeah, it wasn't really the swan song that I think a lot of people were looking for in this series. Uh, so this kind of returned to a lot of the themes and story beats of of the movies that had that had come before it, and it was a. So it's the movie starts with a a, mo- a great big explosion, um, and Sulu, who is no longer on the Enterprise, but is uh, commanding the Excelsior, which mentions it. It's kind of mentioned at the end of Star Trek Five that he's like, I'm, I'm actually not excited about the Enterprise A, which gets unveiled at the end of Star Trek Four. He's interested in this uh, Excelsior. Um, do you guys know the real reason why Sulu is on a different ship? Uh, he hates Shatner. Space yeah, racist. True. Uh, no, <laughs> he was uh, he was uh, so done with Shatner um, that he said he would come back if he never had to share the screen or talk to or be around Shatner at any point. So space homophobic. Well, Shatner. Yes. No, he's just real homophobic <laughs> and possibly racist. Uh, Shatner. Uh, Shatner is. We've talked about this before. Shatner sucks as a person, was a huge asshole to everyone, only seemed to have a genuine uh, friendship with Nimoy, who was pretty good as a person, as a friend. Uh, if you've ever, ever seen the documentary I Am Spock, I would highly recommend it. It is kind of like it, – it really, I think, addresses – he wasn't a perfect human being, but how like the only reason the Star Trek movies exist is because Nimoy kept going to bat for the crew – or the, the rest of the cast and fighting for them throughout it while Shatner was like, whatever, no one better get more money than me. Um, but then also that Shatner, like his one role where he is good at is as Captain Kirk and all the Shatnerisms come from him not being capable of playing any role successfully that isn't Captain Kirk. But yeah, anyway. it, it's like it's like in those bands during the 80s where like the lead singer dash songwriter was like on coke all the time and just like firing keyboardists and shit. But he had that yeah. one manager who was like, okay, you need to be patient with this person throughout this tour. Otherwise, you don't make any money. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. It was like, hey, Stone Temple Pilots. I know Scott Weiland is the worst, but like talk, talk radio, your other band is not taking off. Sure, you're writing all the riffs, but like you got to keep putting up with them. Um, that was like my band that the lead singer kept getting kicked out and quitting and then coming back and making uh, a new album until tragically um, his demons got the best of him. But he anyway, couldn't do the, he couldn't do the Julian Casablancas thing where like he went off and made a solo album that sold really well and was really well respected. And then the rest of the strokes were like, yeah, I guess we do kind of need you. <laughs> yeah, no, they both yeah. eat it. <laughs> well, yeah, that that was one where they both went off like the DeLeo brothers from Stone Double Pilots and Scott Weiland went and made separate album and Scott Weiland did OK and uh, talk. I think their band was called Talk Radio was fucking like. Doesn't even have a Wikipedia entry that like is. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, so this there's an explosion. It's the moon Praxis, which is a moon of the Klingon homeworld, and there's concern that hey, this is in 50 years, it's possible that the Klingon homeworld is not going to be able to sustain life, and that has reopened up negotiations to actually um, have a peace treaty as opposed to like a tentative Cold War type agreement. Um, and uh, part of that was also because at this point, Star Trek The Next Generation had been on the air for four years or three years. This came out in 1991. 
And the Klingons were more than just a peace treaty. There was an alliance where they were on the same team. So it's kind of like, hey, that takes place about 75 years in the future. What are some of the steps that start getting us there? Um, now, obviously, the Klingon homeworld, as far as we know, didn't actually end up uh, being able, being unable to support life. But a lot of it could happen in 50 years. And that alliance doesn't happen to like 50 years later. So there's like a treaty. There's peace. But anyway, getting ahead of myself. We'll talk. Much more about that later on. Uh, so, Spock, uh, they're, they're about ready for retirement on the Enterprise A for like the eighth time. But whatever. They're they're actually going to be done this time. Uh, they're not actually out doing missions. It's like a, hey, we're going to be done pretty soon. If you need us, we're here. Our ship's docked. I'm still the captain for two more months. Our crew is still technically ready to go. Um, Spock has found out about this classified information and, and has started the peace process, a role that's going to continue for him well after this movie in that uh, is kind of like trying to make peace with these hard-fought uh, enemies of the Federation. Uh, so he, the people that are going to lead the envoy of bringing the Klingon Chancellor is the Enterprise, which Kirk is pissed about because he hates Klingons. He doesn't want peace. If they're going to die, great. These are the people I fucking hate. I want to see him die. Uh, and that sets up the, the kind of conflict of the movie. They But they go to meet the Chancellor and the Klingon warship, led by Chancellor Gorkon, played by David Warner, in a second consecutive Star Trek movie appearance. He was a human in Star Trek V. Um, he, uh, Kirk is like, I don't trust him. Records a log. Let him die. Don't trust him. They killed my son. Can't forgive him. No interest in peace. Well, also recognizing one thing I really like about the future enlightened space racist of Kirk. Uh, and this is a theme throughout of it is that he kind of understands that he the feelings that he feels suck. Like he's like, look, I'm just not capable of getting past this. I get why it's a good thing, but why the fuck am I on this mission? And he's pissed at Spock for having him do it. They have a dinner. It's extremely uh, rough with the Klingons, where it's basically people that have been at war or hated each other for a long time, uh, trying to like bring. It's it's kind of like uh, if you probably like went to a dinner with like old enemies, and you're like, "Hey, I never got to say this to you ten years ago, but uh, yeah, you know, I know we're having a nice dinner, but kind of shitty that you stole my girlfriend. Remember that? <laughs> like, isn't it weird? I, isn't it weird how like sometimes you'll be in the shower one day and you'll just think of somebody that you haven't thought of in five to ten years, and you're just like, oh yeah, that guy. If I saw him right now, I definitely tell him I hate him. And yeah, then like, you, and then you just like I don't know, like wash your armpits and forget about the person again for another five or ten years. Yeah, that. I mean, there's a couple people in my life that like we had bad friend breakups, you know, stuff like that over definitely high school uh, immaturity and stuff like that. We're kind of like, yeah, that was really shitty. Like. Like you, if you like sat down to like a high school reunion, you you'd be like, "I'm gonna get in a dig." Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna like, um, and that's kind of what their dinner's like. Uh, they go back to their ship, and all of a sudden on the Klingon ship, two people beam aboard in like full like uh, space marine. Can't see them with gravity boots. They shut off the gravity, the anti gravity ship. People are floating around. They go through and start shooting everyone with fa with uh, Federation phasers and then beam off. They shoot the chancellor um, as well. Um, and uh, also they fire the, the ship is fired on from what it looks like uh, is under is well is, is from the enterprise based on the way the view screen is projecting it. Um, and they're like, what the fuck is going on? Um, and the, 
the Klingons believe that, hey, uh, you guys beamed aboard our vessel. We're trying to have peace. You tried to kill a bunch of people, including the Chancellor, and fired on us. We've been, uh, we've been uh, duped. Uh, Kirk and McCoy beam over to try to see what the fuck's going on. Save the Chancellor. Chancellor ends up dying and says, hey, uh, David Warner's really great in this. We'll get into that. But he's like, hey, like, don't let this be the end of what I'm trying, like, what we should be doing for our children, children's children, all that stuff. Uh, Kirk and McCoy are arrested and Spock and the Enterprise uh, begin an investigation to figure out. Did they fire on the ship? Where did these things come from? So they kind of have a detective movie the whole time while the Federation's calling them back. The Federation decides that peace is more important than any individual people, declares that they don't they believe Kirk and McCoy are innocent, but they'll let the trial on the Klingon homeworld stand. Um meanwhile, there's a, so Gorkin's right hand man is a general, um, played by Christopher Plummer, who likes to quote Shakespeare uh, in the original Klingon. Um, and, uh, so anyways, he, they, he ends up getting convicted. They get sentenced to a prison planet. Slowly, um, they start figuring out on the Enterprise that, yep, we did beam people over. They're trying to identify who the people are. Those people are found dead and they find out that, um, uh, Valer, so, uh, Valaris is, uh, this Klingon who's like going to, Spock is like mentoring to be his replacement on the Enterprise. Uh, they discover that she is actually orchestrated with it and is in league with a bunch of other people at this peace process, including admirals in the Federation, uh, Romulans, uh, it's basically a conspiracy that don't want, and, and other Klingons who like are like, actually, the, the irony is, is that there's an alliance between the Romulans, the Federation, and the Klingons or power players to all stop this peace process from happening so they can all continue to hate each other. Uh, so they all work together to make this happen. Uh, irony. Um, and uh, they discover that uh, Valeris gives up some locations through a mind meld with Spock. Um, but it's very gives violent. Up, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but gives up some names of the conspiracy. Meanwhile, uh, and they uh, talk to Sulu, who knows the name of the planet, Kitimer, and they are rushing to us because they're like, well, fuck. They... Peace is moving forward. The next thing is they're gonna uh, shoot the, the the Federation president, played by fucking Kurtwood Smith, um, in a lot in heavy makeup. But uh, anyway, Kurtwood Smith also playing the only uh, reasonable, calm diplomat in his entire career. <laughs> I know. So like, I it took me forever to realize that was Kurtwood Smith, even after I knew who Kurtwood Smith was. He always but plays I, either the the psychopath or like the ornery regressive guy no it's uh well he's he's on uh, an episode of next generation i think playing an asshole <laughs> like it's just um that's the great thing about star trek you could throw makeup you can be on the show like like jeffrey combs played like seven characters i was gonna say I, I was gonna say weirdly enough it's like when jeffrey combs is playing sweet in uh from in the movie from beyond you're like Mm, doesn't quite feel right. And then Jeffrey Combs starts to get crazier and you're like, oh, yeah, that's the that's the sauce. That's what we need. Yeah. Jeffrey Combs actually plays my second favorite Star Trek villain of all time. He's, um, a, he's a Ferengi, isn't he? No. Well, no, like he plays a, a member of uh, the Dominion in Star Trek Deep Space Nine for like 60 episode, a guy named Wayan. Uh, so good. I only know about the Ferengi from uh, memes about how Star Trek uh, is, a, is a, it's a little racist. Uh, yeah, 
yeah, like I said, we'll get to the it. The Ferengi, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll someday get to the Ferengi. I don't have any episodes mapped out, but we're not quitting after all this is done. Anyway, absolutely not. Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, so Kirk and McCoy are on the prison planet. They meet a shapeshifter who's like, "We can get you out of here." Um, so Kirk, uh, in his last movie. <laughs> Or his, his base, second to last appearance in Star Trek still gets to make out with a quote unquote strange alien person, which is good good for his legacy. Like that was such an important part of Star Trek. I'm glad they worked in that. Um, but uh, this shapeshifter helps them out, and they discover, hey, wait a second, we got out immediately. Oh, it's because you're gonna kill us. Uh, once you're behind the shields, and if we escape, you can make it look like you didn't send us to a prison planet to be murdered. Um. But there is, of course, uh, um, Nimoy, Spock, uh, beaming him out. Um, and now they realize that the thing that shot at the Klingon warship was a Klingon bird of prey that can fire when it's cloaked, which is something we've never seen uh, before since, partially because uh, they discover a weakness for that, which is it emits a uh, easily traceable tachyon uh, display before it fires, allowing you to basically fire on it with its shields down. Because they can't have shields up with cloak, or else they could they could pick that up. So, uh, great attempt at a weapon. Once they discover the weakness, it's completely worthless and actually will get you destroyed very quickly. Um, and so, the Excelsior and um, the Enterprise blow up uh, Christopher Plummer. They rush to save the the president, um, which they do at the last minute. Everyone gets arrested. That was bad. And Kirk gives a great speech about um, how the undiscovered country is actually the future, as he learned from Gorkun, and that um, people like himself who are trying to impede the exploration of the future as a place of peace need to either wise up or step aside because uh, they're, uh, the only good space racist is a space racist on a Klingon prison planet. Um, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, so that is Star Trek VI. Really quickly, first Star Trek movie I saw. I saw it in theaters. Came out in 1991. Uh, I was uh, uh, seven when it came out. Um, and I remember seeing it. I was in first grade. Uh, and I had been sick at school that day. It was throwing up. And my dad still took me to the movie. He's like, well, you're good to go to the movie. And I'm like, of course. Yeah, you're taking me to a movie? <laughs> like, of course I'm good to go and i remember i he bought popcorn i didn't want the popcorn and i almost threw up when the anti-gravity blood stuff was happening when (laughs) um but i i really loved it i obviously didn't get all the connection to other movies um and then i think yeah i watched four star trek four and then Star Trek One, which I was able to rent from the library, and it wasn't until a couple years later when my dad started watching Next Generation religiously, or at least in a, letting me watch it with him uh, in its last few years that I really kind of got that whole Star Trek bug. So I, th- I do think I watched the, the the Star Trek animated series that was showing reruns on Nickelodeon back uh, in the pre nineties era. Um. But so I kind of knew who Kirk and Spock was from watching that a lot. Um, but yeah, this was kind of my first movie. Um, and I remember being very confused by a lot of it, but like feeling like I, it was that perfect age where like you're seven, you're going to the movie with your dad, you're seeing a movie that your dad's super into. He like, like you're accompanying him, he's not accompanying you. Uh, and it was just like, uh, it was yeah. It was I was I was pretty enamored with everything I saw, 
Um, and I just, you know, remember having one of those great, like, walking home and asking my dad questions and him knowing all the answers to everything. And, yeah, just like a really warm memory for me in general. Um, and then, you know, kind of when I circled back and really got into the movies a few years later and watched them all in order, this was always a favorite. Like, it was – it is – it's it's not as – like funny and entertaining as Star Trek four. It's not like a perfect movie like Star Trek two is, but it really does um, cap off so much thematic stuff that Star Trek had been doing while also kind of paving a way to a future that was already, you know, underway with the next generation. So love this movie. Um, Bill, you had just seen this for the first time a few years ago. You went through the series in order, I presume. What this was your capper? What was your what was your thoughts? Um, as a capper, it was great because I actually almost quit after five. Not that I didn't enjoy the series; it's just I was trying to marathon through. And after five, I probably took a few days before I was like, "Okay, I have it in me to watch six. But then I turned on six, and it went by. Very well. Um, so I enjoyed it tremendously. Um, I would say in your recap, though, you missed the part where Shatner or Kirk got to make out with freaky space alien, but then subsequently or following that backhanded her, or maybe it was like a closed fist slap. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's just, that's the, not her. I mean, that's a pronoun that you've applied that she has clearly said, I am, I've just done this. I've, I've made a pleasing shape for yeah, you. Yeah, that's fair. I liked it a lot. I mean, for me, I always, in the first few films and throughout the films that I have seen, enjoyed the Kirk-Spock relationship, in part because I like Spock and I like seeing how they interact and I like when Spock becomes more human and breaks the rules. And so this was like the the culmination of a lot of that for me. I mean, clearly it's those two that carry this thing through and everyone else breaking the rules to help Kirk, who's normally the rule breaker. Uh, I enjoy it. I mean, plus all the space racism, what's not to love? Uh, the Next Generation begins with a two-part episode that's sort of edited together into a movie. Yeah. And this, weirdly enough, like, okay, I, I've heard some complaints about the, the movies in general over the years, where it's like the odd number movies are bad and the even numbers are good or whatever. Um, I feel like the movies work really well if you just see them as slightly bigger budget episodes and you don't set your expectations as like, uh, I need to see the most spectacle possible. Um, because I think after three... The spectacle starts to wear down a little bit, um, and it starts... Yeah, that was that weird thing where, and I think we did talk about this, but in case we didn't, where mo the movie was more successful and, and Paramount's like, yeah, now do it with less money. <laughs> like, Yeah, which is a sequel thing that we talked about. We've actually talked about it in a lot in the We Love to Watch uh, podcast, which is like their view for old sequels used to be... Uh, they still do it from time to time, but they'll say, uh, yeah, you for sure get a sequel for this super successful thing, but, um, you know, we're not going to reward you for that. You're getting 60% uh, uh, of your budget from last time um, because we expect, uh, you know, whatever, 60% yeah, of, the, of, of uh, the, you know, the box office from last time. So yeah. um, you, the, the, what's interesting about it is that 
it feels like an episode of the movie or an episode of next generation right in terms of budget it doesn't feel any much more expensive than that there's a few moments like with the cgi blood where i'm like that must have been expensive and like the blowing up of praxis looks expensive for the times right but um but on the flip side of that you take that and like this is the last time that we're gonna see a lot of our old buddies um this is the last time we're gonna see i mean we're you know spock and and such will come back um in uh you know uh into darkness and maybe some episodes of tng i don't know Um, we're actually there's only two people we're never gonna see again McCoy comes back in TNG, but he's done with movies, right? Yeah. So, uh, well, actually, well, let me see if I had. So, um, yeah, you saw McCoy. Spock comes back quite a bit. Um, Shatner comes back. Uh, yeah, Shatner still has uh, has to be demised. So, yeah. So I think it's only Uhura and Sulu who don't end up in subsequent. No, Sulu ends up in Voyager. Uh, but yeah, so I think it's is, just Uhura. So this, great. The yeah. one black woman doesn't end this up. Is, yeah, so like this, but it feels like a proper goodbye because this is the last thing that's focused on them. Yeah. Um, uh, improper, right? Yeah, yeah. This by by every every other appearance is the most you're going to get is in generations. There's three of them for one scene, um, and otherwise it's individual cast members. And, and it's weird because it's like it almost feels like to me. Um, It feels like if at the end of Unforgiven, instead of uh, trying to do the or or a Gran Torino or any of these sort of, uh, you know, the old the old gunslinger, the old the old crew is going back. The old guys are back in town. The space cowboys are going back on one last mission. And instead of uh, all going out in a blaze of glory uh, or going out with dignity. Um, there's one more movie. We got to have one more big adventure. One more way to say goodbye to us. One more way to say goodbye to us. And they just keep dragging it out and dragging it out. And and, and while I really enjoyed this movie, I, I, we talked about this before. Uh, there's a there's a strangeness to me about how each individual entry feels like they're saying goodbye, saying goodbye, saying goodbye, saying goodbye. And they almost refuse to, even though movies should, could be a great opportunity. And I know I'm thinking in a post Marvel cinematic universe kind of universe. Um, but the movies would be a great chance for us to be introduced to whoever the next Picard would be, whoever the next, you know, whoever the next Kirk, sorry, whoever the next Kirk is, uh, whoever the next, uh, whoever, even just like, you know, some side threats that, you know, it's too big for Kirk to take on, but the next crew, they're going to, they're going to deal with this slug race or whatever, um, the the movies continually have a problem with bringing in new blood. They have since the first movie. The first movie yeah. uh, brings in this cast of of interesting characters, and then they're like, "Well, we'll dispatch them because we're going to make a sequel." Um, and this one, they introduce Valeris, who was replacing a previous Vulcan lady, um, who was supposed to be the stand-in Spock. But then when they had the real Spock, they didn't yeah. need the stand-in Spock, so she's replacing the stand-in. But then she turns out to be evil, which is actually a good twist for the movie. But it does beg the question, like, are these people, are we, are we handing this off to new blood or, or, or are the old guys just going to keep popping back for, you know, one last job? So I forget the specific, like, originally there was a line that was a, l- a little more calling to like, hey, 
like Picard, like it what didn't say Picard, but it was like really kind of handing the mantle. And I actually tried to look this up, but um, I'm sure there's people that know this by heart that are like frustrated. I don't know the specifics, but essentially the line was a lot more like glowing and like, we're going to give this to a new crew at the end who's going to, you know, lead on to their own adventures, which is from the audience perspective, you're supposed to know it's about the next generation. Uh, and I guess the next something about the next generation did pissed off the makers of this movie. And they're like, fuck you. We're just going to we're going to generic it, the line. So the line was actually changed to like more people will take on our adventures, but we're going to go retire. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like after Star Trek four, you could have conceivably ended it, right? Because Star Trek four ends, they have like that mini trilogy inside two, three, and four. Spock's back. It ends with them getting the Enterprise A, and like they're old, but they got a new ship. Like Kirk's back to being a captain from being an admiral. It kind of wraps up all those themes, and then Shatner had in his contract that whatever Nimoy got, he got. So they did Star Trek five which was um, abysmal um, in general. And it, this really, movie really was made because at, at the time of Star Trek V, Next Gen's already going. Um, and they made this as like, okay, well, we can't end it here. So they bring back Nicholas Meyer and they bring back Leonard Nimoy working with story ideas and a lot of other stuff like that. And um, it do, I, I in my head canon, I know that they just couldn't get anyone back to do Savick, so they just wrote a new character. Um, I hate saying things like headcanon, but I just kind of imagine it being her, it's it's Savick. That's who it was written to be. That arc makes a lot more sense as like this person that we've come to know. Um, because the idea being that like one thing I really like about this movie is that Valeris slash Savick is not evil. She just is like, hey, we can't trust them. As shown by um, the fact that they're working to kill their own chancellor without recognizing the irony of that she is working to kill her own president because of that. And I think it's that kind of true believer thing where she, she from her perspective, she is acting from a place of logic and 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 uh, and protection. She's not being irrational. She's not filled with hate. She is saying hey, I'm a Vulcan, I followed your teachings, and this seems to be the safest route for us. Um, and I really like that. I like that it's not villainous in that way. Um, and I think it would have carried more emotional heft with a character that we generally know uh, or have known through a couple other movies. It's only subversive because they give you enough time to forget that she exists. Yeah. And I mean, and also they're they're kind of... They're doing the thing where you're like, uh, there's always a trustworthy member of the crew from the Vulcan race on board in these movies. Um, you know, it might not be original uh, Spock. It might be his replacement. Um, it might not be original Spock. It might be his other replacement. Uh, it might be. It might not be the original Spock. It might be his literal clone replacement um but there's always a trusty vulcan to help kirk on his journeys so i think that's a good bit of subversion it's a really fun movie it's sort of like a weird political thriller um yeah. and the fact and casting fucking christopher Plummer as chang he's is, so good it's so good i know what i love uh there's a there's a note that i 
on anytime there's an IMDb trivia note that I think is interesting, I chase it down and I was able to find a little bit more about it. Um, cause IMDb trivia is, is a uh, 60% of the time, probably bullshit. Um, one of them is that while they were doing makeup, um, Christopher Plummer saw like, a you know, a lighter touch version of the, the forehead warp and, and oh yeah. And he was yeah. like, let's just stick with that. Like, let's just do this. That'll, that'll, you know, uh, but, but then you read interviews with Christopher Plummer and he's not like, yeah, I tricked those nerds. I didn't want to put all that bullshit on. He's like, yeah, I thought it would help me be more of an expressive actor. Um, I, I'm supposed to be somebody that you could, uh, if you, if you, you know, if you, even if you like Kirk, you could be convinced by my oratory. Um, which is a, a cool, like, uh, it's a cool note from somebody at Christopher Plummer. And it, it, what's, what's also funny is Christopher Plummer was also in Knives Out recently. Um, yeah, there's something about these old actors of a old actors of a certain age. Um, I'm not going to say white actors, actually. I was, I, I used to think it was just British actors, but it happens to a lot of old actors, um, where they reach a certain age and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, you could do Shakespeare. <laughs> like, like, yeah. I, like Danny Glover has never done anything that super serious in his career, but like, for some reason, like the idea of him, like, uh, giving like a, being in a three hour movie where he's just giving like harsh rebukes, uh, is, is something that I'd love to see. I'd love to see. I love something about being these old veteran actors like Christopher Plummer. You're like, uh, yeah, whatever, whatever you want to do, where you have to uh, spend a lot of time just you occupying the camera and giving these long ass monologues where you're essentially explaining the themes of the movie. Great. I'd much rather you do that than like some like hot like 22 year old who like it's like oh man. They're going to kill the president like that. That's mm-hmm. not what I'm here for. I'm here for I, if I'm watching Star Trek, I want to see a fucking character actor monologue. Well, and here's why that's all that stuff is actually super amazing. Like it's it's a lot of Shakespeare clo- quotes and the uh, I shouldn't say a lot. It's all Shakespeare quotes um, again from the original Shakespeare, the Klingon Shakespeare, um, which is is great. That's a joke they use throughout a lot of Star Trek from from this point forth. And it's always good. They actually use it earlier in this own um, in this in this movie where, where where Spock's like, you know, it's like the old Vulcan proverb: only Nixon could go to China, <laughs> which is so goddamn good that like that's not a joke from Spock. That clearly has become a Vulcan proverb uh, that only Nixon could go to China. Um, it's so good. I love that joke. And they use it well. But here's why that whole scene is amazing, why Palmer's so good. And it ties back into what you said. Yes, the special effects on this are not great. So they can't do a climactic uh, space fight, really. Like, they don't have the budget for it. But it's still fucking... In- and they have a cloaked ship anyways. And that's probably because they can't do the space fight. But... Uh, that whole scene is, like, as intense as any uh, special effects-driven action scene, all based on seeing empty space, a camera pan, and Christopher Plummer saying shit. Like, that feels like a stressful action sequence, all based on an empty screen and Christopher Plummer's voice. That's fucking amazing. I mean, the, the CGI yeah. and the action, I mean, it's not this movie. 
I mean, I guess when I say I love it, it, it was for what it is and not because it was a super amazing piece of visual art. I mean, by any sense of the imagination, like the, the whole premise of the Klingon planet failing or being uninhabitable in 50 years, like was hard for me to swallow. Maybe not as much the last time, but at least this time, um, because as I continue to rewatch things, I get more and more critical, but it is far and away like the interaction from like a political level and like uh, being a soft spot for Spock. Uh, I mean, I think it's a, a great film. I mean, it certainly blew four and five out of the water for me and made me glad that I finished the, you know, trek through it all. Yeah, yeah. And I think that putting it in the context of, to take a step back, like I didn't like the show as, it's funny that Aaron saw this as in theaters as a kid, uh, implies that he um, was a, a, an intellectual child. <laughs> A genius child, if you will. Um, uh, when I would catch Star Trek movies on TV uh, when I was a child, I would be uh, bored as shit to them. Um, was your was your was and I, I forget if we talked about this. Your your dad or mom was not into Star Trek, was it? My my uh, my dad was really into Star Trek, but he I think at the time he was like, well, Star Wars is probably the easier path for a kid, and I I think I accepted that right. So my dad pushed Star Wars on us heavily, and and it and it it took Star Wars is easier for a kid. Uh, the spectacle of Star Wars, even in its worst movies, is 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 greater than uh, usually what happens in uh, any Star Trek movie. Barring you know, now that I'm an adult, now that I'm an adult, the shit in motion picture is fucking insane like the, the the it's it's the it's some of the best shit we've ever done on film in terms of the special effects but um Agreed. after that uh, but but hold on on that i do think that is a little bit of a uh youngest oldest child thing like um you know for me i was the oldest so if my dad wanted to go see a movie that my mom wasn't interested in it was like well hopefully it, it's i either need to go by myself or i can turn it into what i'm taking aaron it's a it's a father son thing we're doing where you probably had a you know so like I had a very vested interest in like being interested in the stuff my dad was interested in because it made it, I got to go do more things when that happened because I was the only option where for you Peter it was probably a little more like uh yeah I can do I can watch this on my own I can, you know, I can do stuff with the other kids that are interested in it. Like, I'm going to show Peter the stuff I think Peter will be interested in, where I probably had to adapt a little more to what my dad was interested in to get to go do those so, things. So, I'm in Peter's camp. I mean, I there's no way I would have ever sat down and watched these because I had no, you know, my, I have an older sister that's it. So, no sibling pushing me there. My dad wasn't into it. So, I saw it on TV. I just kept flipping. I mean, without that, it was always like, nope. Like, not interested. It wasn't like – and I'm not sure I ever would have forced myself to sit down and, and watch them had someone that, like, I truly respected on an intellectual level said, you have to go watch these. I'm like, okay. If they say so, I will actually watch them. But, like, I knew the whole culture and everyone, you know, Trekkies, obviously, it was a huge thing. And, like, to me, it was like, nope, not interested, can't be that good. And, it, you know, it's unfortunate that I, I wasted all those years and – when I had more time to sit and watch movies and television shows. I actually got into this now. I would have had a, a deep amount of appreciation for this in my teen years because when I was a teenager, I got super into Twilight Zone, which taps into... Oh, yeah. Um, we've talked about the differences and, and the similarities between the two, but it taps into a similar thing where like, I would have loved like neat little 
20 to 40 minute depending on what season of Scarlet Zone you watch uh, 20 to 40 minute uh, <laughs> little uh, uh, stories about morality ethics uh, different culture clashes and you know how how people view the world like that kind of shit like actually sat really well with me as a teenager like I wish that I had uh, been exposed to it then um, but now you know it's, it's better late than never I'm, I'm really enjoying it but the, the, the viewing it more as a um, as an episode of uh, a, a TNG that didn't exist or something, uh, a TNG level budget, but just for the old crew, um, really helps me, uh, really helps me enjoy it a, a lot more because I'm viewing it uh, as what story it's said, almost the Ebert rule. What stories are they setting out to tell and how well do they tell those stories as opposed yeah. to uh, does this movie match the spectacle of Return of the Jedi, <laughs> which is just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And also uh, what's so funny, though, about like the introducing part is that even though I knew my dad was into Star Trek, uh, I used to watch Nickelodeon in the 80s and they showed uh, – Peter, I don't know if you know this. Maybe Bill, you don't know this. <laughs> There's an animated series that came after the original series before the movies that lasted for one season that has the voice of the entirety of the original cast. No idea. Anime is from I the seventies, but I've never seen it. So, so yeah, I uh, used to, and they used to show reruns on Nickelodeon in the eighties. Um, I I was like five, maybe four, right? Um, I just know it was like this is personal, but like I know it was pre moving to North Dakota in 1990 because 1990 my parents were like, you know what, you guys watch too much TV, no more cable. Um, so uh, so it was when I lived in Montana, uh, but I watched it all like it was on every single day, and I didn't know it wasn't a like a new like I didn't know it was from the 70s. Right. As far as I knew, it was just a show in between other things like you can't do that on television I was watching. So I like really liked it. And then I think eventually found out there was like a live action version or whatever I called it at that time. But I didn't like I was just watching. It was cool. Same thing with like Batman. They used to show Batman, the 60s show on some channel I watched every day after kindergarten was over. I didn't know that was from the 60s. I just thought, oh, they're showing Batman, my favorite thing in the world. Every day after school, it's great. I love that Batman. Um, I didn't know it was a comedy, right? Like, I just, here's Batman and all these evil villains. And they fight with words on the screen. My parents told me we couldn't afford cable. So I was in the same boat as you. It turns out in my adult years, I've done the math and they were blatantly lying that they couldn't afford cable. But I grew up without cable as well. We had cable till I was till we moved to, to North Dakota in nineteen January of nineteen ninety. Um, it's even worse. Uh, my dad worked at a radio station that was combined with a television station, and part of his signing contract was that we got free cable. <laughs> and they turned it down so that we didn't sit in front of the TV. That is worse. Uh, also, uh, you know how big Aaron's family is, right, Yeah, Bill? I listen to the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, can you imagine having that many fucking kids and you weren't like, the TV can take care of a couple of them? <laughs> no, I can tell you when we were allowed to watch TV, it was in the morning before school, which was PBS shit. We could watch it Tuesday nights when Full House was on. That was later because Full House had been on TJF. We could watch TJF. We could watch Saturday morning cartoons until noon. And uh, then I was able to watch um, anything with my dad that wasn't Dallas. They watched Dallas. Um, 
And so that's how I watched Seinfeld, Star Trek, Next Generation. And then I was able to watch, after church, they would show reruns of Star Trek, the original series, and I could watch that. And that was it, like, from first grade through fourth grade. Oh, and uh, DuckTales and the Disney Afternoon after school for an hour. And then off. Couldn't watch the reruns of Growing Pains. <laughs> it's a tough life. Yeah, I think you watch more TV than I, I did, did, even though you didn't have kids. <laughs> well, because like, I had to fight for each inch of that, so I still remember like what I was allowed to watch and what I was. Anyway, that's well off topic for a movie we still have stuff to discuss. Yeah. But, uh, so let's yeah. talk about science shit real quickly. So, Bill, you were yeah. talking about um, Praxis, um, Praxis blowing up, and uh, the the Klingon homeworld getting uh, you know becoming uninhabitable. Uh, two things, really quickly. Um, so. Broader point, um, this is sort of the Klingon versus, uh, you know, uh, the, the Starfleet Alliance thing is supposed to be sort of a um, UN versus Russia thing. But sometimes they the Klingons are Russia, sometimes they're uh, China. This is, Praxis is clearly a Chernobyl stand-in, right? And yeah. like... Chancellor Gorkin, which is a Kurtwood Smith, is supposed to Chancellor Gorkin is supposed to be sort of like a Chinese stand-ins, like for Premier um, and Lai, um, who is who Nixon was primarily meeting with. Obviously, there's photos of him with Chairman Mao, and he met with Chairman Mao. But like most of the the actual discussions were with um, were with Premier and Lai uh, in China. It sounds like um, from the records. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting thing where they've sort of taken, um, the, the Starfleet Alliance, um, it was supposed to be sort of a stand-in for Cold War, uh, the Starfleet Alliance versus the Klingons supposed to be a stand-in for Cold War conflict, but, uh, now that they've moved into the 80s and, and Chernobyl has happened and, um, the, the, the USSR is crumbling, uh, they're kind of taking a different tact. They're saying, okay, what if this war is ending? What do we do next? Do we do we take vengeance on uh, the spilt blood of the past, or do we move boldly into the future? Um, so, Bill, you had you had some you had some objection. That's like the thematic, you know. Obviously, I think thematically that works great for me emotionally. Um, you guys can disagree, but uh, you had some you had some disagreements for how how. Why do you think the planet wouldn't be uninhabitable? Well, it was on their moon. I mean, look. Uh... I, I immediately went to the same spot you did and thought Chernobyl, right? But even then, it's yeah. like, okay, this is one moon where they mine for whatever raw material they use in energy production, right? It wasn't the only one, and it's not part of their planet. So, they didn't talk about some pending explosion. They just talked about the release of pollution, which presumably finds its way through their atmosphere to the planet. I don't know. It just all seemed very yeah. loose, and I just loved the fact that they – decided to take the shot at the Klingons and say, due to overmining and lack of safety precautions, as if, you know, someone dug, you know, a little too deep in mine section three and they hit the core and the whole planet went up or whatever it is. Like, it seemed silly to say that something could be catastrophic, right? So they, they skipped the safety procedure. They had an accident, right? Presumably something catastrophic because there was a massive explosion. But it's going to take 50 years for us to move off. So we're going to have time to go through these phases, right? To me, it's kind of binary. Yeah, let's talk about the 50 years later. But yeah, that's 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 definitely something to discuss as well. But continue. I mean, it's useless though. I mean, not, not useless. It's not an important point to dissecting the movie. I'm just saying I had to look past that. I had to look past a bunch of the other stuff to say I really liked the movie. 
But to me, that they could have done slightly better in that five-minute explanation. I thought of the same thing when I was watching the movie, and I was th- what I was thinking about is how uh, our moon, um, a relatively minor moon, uh, has effects on um, like tidal formations, and it has supposedly has effects uh, as well on like um, menstrual cycles and shit like that on Earth, like the men- the way that the, the um, I'm not a scientist. Um, the way that the, uh, <laughs> so you have uh, angry people and you can't find clams in tide pools, right? We're not having yes. to move and, off and, the planet <laughs> in 50 years. But but uh, I, I had this like I had this I was coming up with this head cannon and I actually had to re- reset the movie a little bit because I was doing the same thing you were doing for a minute because Star Trek does usually go there in like weird places and my my head cannon was like oh so maybe they have like super volcanoes on the planet. And uh, the the uh, their orbiting moons are keeping some sort of like space metal in, in bay inside these like lo- these like lava these like pressurized lava pits below their super volcanoes. Um, but now that the moon is gone, it had there's no sort of like magnetic balance pushing back on these super volcanoes, and they're gonna they're gonna blow up and blow up the planet. I'm sure there's actually a hundred canon reasons for it, but like in my head, I was I was like also like, wait, why would a moon getting blown up? Why would a moon blowing up fuck up this planet? And then I came up with a headcanon reason, which is asterisk. Uh, that is also a reason I love Star Trek, because my brain is going to places like that, as opposed to, uh, yeah, why do I give a shit where she got her lightsaber from? <laughs> Presumably, we are at a level where all of these cultures have figured out traveling at, you know, light speed or warp speed, whatever you want to call it. Like, they are extremely sophisticated scientifically. So if they don't know how to mine some ore or material, I question it. So now you can explain to me why I'm so, wrong. So, so I'm not saying you're wrong, but I, I would say that the kind of general thing is in the Klingons is that they don't – Klingons don't value life in the same way that humans do. Like each individual one matters. That's kind of in the the third thread. So like if it's more Again, efficient that's sort mining, of a USSR standard. <laughs> yeah, like, like the idea being that like – Hey, if it's more efficient to mine this way, we'll do it even if it costs more lives because Klingons are fine with that. Like, they don't have that. Anyway, so that would be like the Klingon reason for it. uh, You're missing the scientific basis of like what they were doing. So anyways, so but the actual like where where it actually comes, I think this is why there was a little bit of feud with next generation and or the producer of next generation in this movie and i had trouble googling it. it's very hard to like just search for this thing and i'm about to say a word that i've read so many times in star trek like production books that i used to read that i also realized i don't know if i've ever said out loud so it's gonna be one of those embarrassing things but gene roddenberry specifically thought of star trek five and six as including pieces of apocrypha uh, that's the word. I don't know if I've ever said that in real life. That was it his sounds quote. right. Uh, which basically means that it includes non-canon stuff. That they were um, that it, Peter and I are uh, Catholic. We know and, what it is. <laughs> okay, great. That the it's idea Star Trek being legend. yeah, that it basically and and part of what pissed off the next generation. So we talk about like, oh shit, Konos won't be inhabitable. In 50 years. Well, Star Trek at that point, Star Trek Next Generation took place 75, 78 years after um, and had scenes on Kronos. So, you know it's inhabitable that long later. 
And I think that – and there's other things in there like, oh, great. You have a Klingon ship that can shoot when it's cloaked. Um, we don't have that 78 years later on Star Trek The Next Generation. And we say it's impossible many, many times. So there are a few things from both of those movies that Roddenberry specifically was kind of like, yeah, it's not really part of Star Trek canon. Like, sure, the Shatner stuff and the Enterprise last mission, but, you know, whatever else. So I th- I don't think you actually need to – and this is the general Trek fan consensus that's going to get super nerdy, is that you don't actually have to, like, write stu- that stuff out of canon to to say that, like, oh, th- it's fine that it didn't happen. So, yeah, they were like, whatever ended up happening, they're like, in 50 years, it looks like it'll be uninhabitable. Well, technology, even in the future, it advances, so maybe the Klingons were not great um, from an assessment capabilities. And one of the things with the Klingon, too, is they didn't uh, – the, the kind of lore of Klingons is they didn't invent a lot of their technology and science shit because they're warriors. They they stole a lot of it for as they conquered other species. Um, so it's very, like, probable, even though it's never really been addressed, that, like, hey, at some point someone said, actually – we know how to fix this so your planet's going to be fine. And the evidence is that 75 years later, we know for a fact the planet is fine. And then the same thing with the cloaked ship that can shoot. Well, they found a pretty easy way to destroy that ship. So maybe that was the one time it was used because it didn't work out all that well. So that's like actually like the behind the scenes, like why some of that stuff is kind of stupid. And it did piss off people that were working on Next Generations because it's like, hey, We've now established three years of canon. The idea that you're like, don't care about that shit while you're writing your movie is annoying to us. And they're like, fuck you. We're going to have a less welcoming handoff for you than in our movie. Like, we're trying to make a movie. It is interesting, though, that like Gene Roddenberry is very prominently featured in the credits of TNG's early episodes that I've been uh, I've been challenged to watch for this show. Um, but in, yeah. in this, it's like all of the stories you hear from behind the set are Gene Roddenberry is like, this sucks. Shit. Will you will you cash the paycheck? I absolutely will. Yeah, we talked about that at some point that Roddenberry was essentially like. Uh, when it came to Paramount making movies, wasn't allowed to like they were like he was special creative consultant, which was kind of like the equivalent to when they brought George Lucas in in the later years to work to like sit and talk about his ideas for Star Wars games. They're like, sure, sure, yeah, Darth Evilus, great, <laughs> thanks, George, get out. Um, that that kind of sounds like Roddenberry's involvement in the movies after Star Trek: The Motion Picture, whereas. Um, he did have a much more prominent role in the next generation and was kind of annoyed that um that the people that making those movies didn't like hey hey we do have another show let's keep that in mind guys like you're not in your own uh, island anymore so yeah yeah and and, and, and- uh, so I, I don't know much behind the scenes stuff other than what you occasionally read in interviews, but like oh, not not interviews. I read whole books about it, Peter. It's, yeah, uh, but like some part of me doesn't think it matters because like some part of me enjoys. The- oh, it doesn't. I'm just giving you, but it doesn't at all. Yeah. But some part of me just enjoys the fact that um, I get to enjoy these films as just like another Star Trek story. And then I'm like. You know, that like weird bit of canon thing doesn't quite match that thing, but maybe there's this weird little bit of headcanon bridge that I can jump. But like for uh, I'm like I've already made the buy in as a base level fan, right? 
<laughs> so like, I'm willing to be a base level fan, but the like <laughs> the deeper uh more uh trench like throngs of of battles that i would have to fight to be a higher level fan i'm like oh wait i get to have this thing i get it's to have an emotional even... reaction to this yeah. film but i don't necessarily have to like i don't necessarily these film series and this this tv series but i don't necessarily have to like uh join another partisan battle the way that in star wars like I'm like reading, I'm reading behind the scenes bullshit and I'm way too involved in like uh, how they're making these stupid fucking movies. These stupid, yeah. And, and like, <laughs> I, I'm loving the fact that with Star Trek, like I can, I, I'll pull up an article about Gene Roddenberry in his final years and I'm like, I don't have to read that. They shot him into space. That's so nice. <laughs> he loved space. That dude loved space. Like, I don't um, have to read any of that shit. Like, it's fun for the early series to find out about this strange guy that had specific plans. And then as time goes on and egos go on, like, I get to yeah. hear little snippets about Shatner being a douche. And then uh, around the same time, Shatner becoming a douche even more so around the same time that I stopped finding him hot. So it's very convenient for me. Um, so... For yeah. me, like this movie is 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 strangely enough a handover to the next generation, which was already in full swing. Um, yeah. But uh, I get to kind of have both, and I don't have to be like, yeah, Undiscovered Country is good, but it doesn't compare with Episode Four of Season One. Like I get to have both, and I don't have to like pick make an, one other part of my life a. Uh, uh, left versus right partisan battle. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to compare the fandoms. I love Star Wars. Like, um, I have very strong opinions about Star Wars. I do, and I think uh, Bruce talked about this in our first episode, another lifelong Trek fan. Like, the Star Trek fandom is generally in sync on what's good and what's not. Like, there's not too much of a, like, contingent that's out there going enterprise is the best star trek no one thinks that like um and even this like behind the scenes stuff it's not even behind the scenes stuff and it's not even like i was just trying to and i'm also not saying i don't find it interesting mind you i i want context but like i don't yeah i don't need to die i'm just saying i don't need to like me like me i don't need to like pick no camp. i get to have it all no you don't you just get to experience it and part of the reason was literally just necessity f for me i could read whatever i wanted but I couldn't watch TV whenever I wanted and I wanted to do Trek stuff. And so getting these books from the library, both the like fiction paperbacks of new Trek stories and all the like behind the scenes compendium and chronology. Uh, the Star Trek chronology was was insane. Like it had it was this like encyclopedic volume that had like dates and context and then references for the entire Star Trek timeline, which is, I think, a presented how much continuity there was and then like had appendixes for like where the continuity doesn't match and like the theories around it in a very like non angry way but just like how how amazing everything lined up was and like here's something we don't quite know the story on and i'm mentioning that because how how expansive it was and i read this i owned it eventually like i saved it up and bought it when they had an updated version with newer seasons and i would read it like nightly like i would read just just go through and just read it over and over again and um there's a part in that chronology that has a part uh that's referenced in star trek 6 there's a part where they're like what are you gonna do with your retirement and scotty says i think i'll get a boot and in that chronology it has this year and says scott like scotty like you know commander <laughs> 
Commander Montgomery Scott uh, debates whether to get a boat. Like, that's how detailed it was. Oh, wait, um, can we pause there really quickly? Because that's, yeah. what, that's what kicked off this whole discussion for me. Okay, so uh, let's connect to that and back with what Bill said. 50 years. 50 Earth years, excuse me. What they really mean by 50 Earth years is 50 years of life for Kirk. So, uh, you know, after he dies and his children are fully adult or whatever. Um, so, well, he doesn't have any children, but, you know, whatever. Um, but the th- that kicked off a whole fire in my head where I was like, Star Trek doesn't exist in a universe with relativity in it. Like, it, time just passes the same on every planet, it sounds like. Because, like, it, it, it fucking somebody buying a scotty buying a boat on earth and then going off in space on a voyage (laughs) and then going to a far-flung galaxy and then being like oh yeah when i come back uh, i'm gonna have my boat you come back that thing's gonna be fucking rotted into the the, (laughs) like the thing is gonna be like maybe three boards floating in the dock if you're if you've been yes (laughs) does he making payments in thousand years hopefully someone was doing his taxes for him Right? I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, have either of you ever read the book The Forever War? Uh, no. So. so you both need to read the book The Forever War. The Forever War is one of my favorite books I've ever read. Um, it is a sci-fi book. Uh, entirely uh, can, For spoilers, when does the war end? <laughs> uh, less Just than really forever. Lame. Okay. Um, I don't but the forever to. War Do I even is, need to read it now? Is, is about okay. So we send off troops to this far-flung galaxy to fight this war, uh, and then they come back at the end of their tour, and I don't know, a, a, not a hundred years, eighty years have passed or whatever because of relativity. But you know, for the troops, especially, they were in um, they were in you know uh, chambers. Uh, for them, it's only been I don't know ten years. I forget the math. Um, and uh, then the guy comes back and his fucking mom is like 80 and dying and, and his whole town is garbage. Um, and then uh, he goes off to war to a much harsher tour, like way, way worse. And then he comes back and everyone's like, you were fighting that w- you were fighting that war? What the what what we've we've already figured out nuclear fusion and all this shit like why were you fighting for resources on a far flung planet you were killing like the, the the point of the story is essentially how soldiers would go off to Vietnam and come back to a completely different world and and a completely yeah. different world that that did not agree with with what happened uh the forever war is obviously and you have to make an entire story about it Star Trek is essentially exists in a universe where relatively to, relativity doesn't exist because does not back, exist no they can go back and like that boat is looking just as good in the harbor as when, when you left well it. part of that you can attribute to warp <laughs> which is like real-time travel through the galaxy without the relativity constraints um but yeah you're right like star trek does not work if every time they come back to earth they're like huh everyone dead all right well there would be no like the first time they left the planet and came back there would be no such thing as black and white people there would just be people like there would just be this this pan racial pan gender race or like the thing that we're supposed to be heading towards like uh, that we would we would be space there space racists they went off to the yeah there would be no space racists because we'd all be the same race 
Yeah. Uh, so I know we're well over time. It's how these Trek episodes normally go. Oh, yeah. I'm going to name a couple things I uh, like. Or, it better be David. There's like a million things you said you'd circle back Damn. on. So this better David, be good. I know. We we never do. That's, I'm here to, uh, I'm, I'm here to learn. Probably that I'm stuff. not here to like, you know, listen to overwhelming themes and things like that. So, so I love like that's uh, – so two things. The ending speech that Shatner did made me cry. I was very surprised by that. I think maybe just the current timeline that we're in helped that a little bit. But um, that was touching for me too, and and in in a weird way, like watching the original series for the first time for this this series, like finding out that Shatner, um, I was sexually attracted to William Shatner in his young years, and then not at all by the time the movies came around. Um, yeah, I was also similarly shocked that William Shatner could have any dramatic emotional effect on me um, yeah well i also think that his uh his log reading or his when he was like i never trusted klingons like i killed my son like it's so, it's really really good he he has a couple really great like legitimately fantastic pieces of acting which are those moments where sure william shatner is a bad actor but he is very good at playing James Kirk. Well, it's just natural um, for him. Everything else, he actually has to. It act, is. In which case, he sucks. Exactly. I, I, that's a great way to put it, Bill. Um, I love the dinner scene. I love the way that they're also like throwing out different ways that um, that maybe you as a Federation loyalist in the audience are having bias. Um, I love that part where uh, Gorkhan's daughter's like inalienable human rights. Even the way that you've presented it to us is xenophobic. <laughs> like um, it's a, it's a good scene for like not Star Trek's always good when it's like, hey, you know what? There's no such thing as good guys and bad guys. Even though yes, wink wink, Klingons are the bad guys and 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 the Federation is the good guys. When they, like, take time to kind of reconcile the fact that we're just seeing it from their perspective and have those moments, it's always really good. And that, again, becomes Deep Space Nine, a lot of the the back half, which is why it is darker. It is less of the optimism that I really like in Star Trek, but also um, really works with a lot of the tropes that have happened. Did you guys like the dinner yeah. scene and the kind of the way they throw out? Like tit for tat prejudices. I also love Chekhov's like <laughs> guess who's coming to dinner, which is a joke that works on like five levels. Yeah, and it appar- apparently uh, the actor didn't like saying that line. Um, anyways, the the um the that dinner scene is great because it takes us takes me back to what I like about the show, which is ultimately about uh, people forcing pushing forward um, to a bright new future, but before they get there, they have to like put all their cards on the table and have an honest open discussion it's not about just saying to someone hey you were the asshole it's not about uh, adjudicating you were the asshole um so you just shut the fuck up and listen to the smart guy talk it's about (laughs) everyone getting all their grievances out most of them are legitimate grievances most of the time and then uh the crew finds a way to amicably move forward without war yeah um my Great point. Um, my next note is that I think if anyone's fucking racist, it's the MPAA. They rated this movie a PG. 
1991. Uh, this movie has people's arms getting cut off and blood spurting out so to float in the air. I guess because it's pink Klingon blood, it means that no one cares. I thought it was, um, but the thing is, blood was pretty goddamn pink in the 60s and 70s. Like, so it, it didn't register as pink blood until they did actual squib Well, blood. until the, yeah, like, yeah. the gravity came back and they stepped in it and it just looked like But even pink. that, his chest... His yeah. chest, sure, it's pink, it's Pepto-Bismol on top of it, but the guy's chest is still ripped open with Pepto-Bismol spurting out. It's insane that this movie got a PG rating. <laughs> this should have been the definition of PG-13, also because uh, to avoid uh, people like Aaron's dad uh, bringing their children to this movie. Um, but the, the, yeah, the CGI, I was sick. The CGI blood floating in, in space is so cool. Uh, Bill, did it's, you end up watching this with your child? Uh, I watched Trouble with Tribbles with my child, not the movie. No, oh, okay. Because um, I, uh, I was going to say, I could see uh, your son being <laughs> very fascinated by and asking questions for goddamn oh, months. Oh, God. The Tribbles alone, the it was blood. like, why aren't those things moving? Those aren't alive. Those definitely <laughs> aren't alive. I'm like, yes, they, they definitely are alive. He's like, why are they eating the wheat if it's just seeds? I'm like, that's all wheat is, is seeds. Like, it, I couldn't watch the actual episode. And I got some questions about capitalism. This sounds like a fake Twitter <laughs> story about your kid. Um, yeah, you're, 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 your kid is too smart for his No, that's not good. true. It's, like, uh, he skips numbers and doesn't like his alphabet. He picks and chooses what he wants to, like, pay attention to. And for some reason, it's things like that like and that. not – you know, things that kindergarten class may expect of him come fall. <laughs> uh, uh, a little note to continuity. I love that the Klingon ambassador is the same one from four. Um, I really, I really like the way they keep things feeling like a big universe. Um, it was definitely my first exposure to that. The movie <laughs> Again, relativity. That guy aged yeah. at a normal human rate. <laughs> It's only been a couple years. Um, I love so the trial scene's great. It looks like fucking the trial scene from Superman. It also, Peter, as you may have noticed, uh, Worf's grandfather, who looks weirdly exactly like Worf, uh, played by Michael Dorn, defends uh, Kirk and McCoy. Uh, but the other thing I really like is the way that the Klingons describe Kirk. Um, from the perspective of not our hero that we've watched, which is also accurate, which is an insubordinate career opportunist, <laughs> which is true. He constantly breaks all the rules and wants to advance his career and be in charge. Um, and I love that perspective flip, flip where it's like, yeah, that's true from your perspective. And I guess, yeah, we he's just been our hero. So it was OK when he didn't follow the rules. <laughs> yeah there there's a little bit in the show where you're like uh, even though it's about respecting all races equally and uh, all people equally at the end of the day you're like well i gotta i gotta back up the home team obviously yeah um i love uh it's a pr great prison planet also the most impressive shots in the movie is the doubles that are walking on a glacier by the helicopter shot in the middle of the mountains uh, yeah, because uh, so good. Because uh, Shatner and uh, DeForest Kelly both did not uh, actually go to Alaska. Um, they yeah. got doubles for that because they. I think they thought. Um, I, I'm just con doing conjecture here. I think they thought uh, sending two old men to Alaska in the middle of a snowstorm would um, murder them. They would. Yeah, they would but those murdered. those helicopter shots are amazing when they get those wide. Like, oh shit. 
These motherfuckers are walking on a glacier in the mountains. Yeah, that's, in costume. That's shit they wouldn't do in TNG, from what I've seen. Like that's that's budget right there. That they use their budget well when they do use it. <laughs> also, movie. the movie shot in widescreen and TNG is shot in full screen, or you know whatever yeah. whatever ratios we're talking about here. So, yeah. um, that getting to experience these wide open Alaska vistas is more impressive in a, in a yeah. widescreen than a TV full screen. Um, Christian Slater's in this movie. Uh, Just because he's a fan, right? Yeah, that's so. One of my favorite things, which which you'll see throughout the show, is there are just like soup. Star Trek is one of the things that even celebrities. It's been around so long that celebrities of their time can be super fans of. And yeah, he was like, you know, 1991. Christian Slater is fucking one of the biggest actors in the world, and he was dying to get in a Star Trek movie. Yeah. He's like, you don't even have to show my face; just let me in a Star Trek movie. And I, lo- that's something else I just love about Star Trek that like. Christian Slater was the coolest person in 1991. Like, everyone wanted to be Christian Slater. He's in Robin and Prince of Thieves, which is a movie that has not held up well, but was fucking huge in that same year. And he's like, just, I don't care. Don't make a big deal. Just get me in a Star Trek movie. You had Eddie Murphy, who wanted to be in a Star Trek movie in 1986. Um, we're going to see later on, uh, you know, Kelsey Grammer, who's like, just, just, I don't have to say any lines. Just put me in Star Trek. And like, when Frasier was at its height, like... Uh, it's something I love about Star Trek that like there are these opportunities for these famous people just like put me in alien makeup let me be a part of it you haven't talked and about the I, most famous nerd though and and uh, she just became a fucking series regular hmm? Whoopi oh. yeah oh yeah because Whoopi that's was a, a huge stand up uh, well we haven't talked about it because yeah we'll talk about it next week but she won an Oscar yeah. She's like, put me on Star Trek. I will be a, bartender. a person on the show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, space space bartender, space psychic. I'll, I'll, I'll basically be like, it, it, from outside appearances, it'll look like I was cast just because of my role in Ghost. Uh, but the real reason is far more <laughs> yeah. sweet and interesting. And it's that I was in love with the show. And Whoopi is yeah. kind of a more interesting person than she was ever given credit for. Well, also, I mean, as because I watched Star Trek at such a young age, like I know Whoopi Goldberg to me is Guinan, and then she was in other stuff. So I don't have that perspective of holy shit. Uh, yeah, like, mine's, mine's Whoopi Goldberg's going to show as a a recurring character on yeah. a syndicated show. Mine is the exact opposite. I was like, Whoopi yeah. is featuring fucking heavily in these TNG episodes. <laughs> Yeah, she's she's been like fifty episodes, and I was, but I, I see her as you know a stand up and a comedy movie actor, yeah. and and occasionally a dramatic actor, right, or just like a fucking uh, uh, cultural lightning rod at times for conservatives. Like that's who I saw see Whoopi as, and I was like, oh yeah, she also did a long run in a very well-respected uh tv show um that is entirely streaming on amazon prime right now can we pause here really quickly is it is is tng and deep uh deep space nine like are is a lot of the original star trek run on there because bezos is a fan um well so i think (laughs) it's it's one of those weird things where like for a while like a bunch of the a bunch of like syndicated shows were streaming on all the platforms and i think it's still true of star trek i think you can watch star trek on prime cbs all access on netflix i think they it's just on all the platforms because the syndicated company that makes the deals like 
it wasn't like, hey, it's, it's not exclusive to anything, but we'll get money from all of them. Okay, because uh, no, because uh, uh, I know Bezos is a fan, and he's also a huge fan of the Expanse, and the which it, is why there's more Expanse. Yeah, he rescued the Expanse. <laughs> I just started watching the Expanse; it's so good. Um, and he rescued the Expanse, and it's like one of the few times that I, I, I've seen like a billionaire in my life that's not Bill Gates or Warren Buffett like do something good for people, and it's. Something that's not actually, like, helping people make their lives better. But basically, Bezos was such a fan of The Expanse that he was like, you get more Expanse. It's my favorite I, show. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that doesn't happen more often. Like, don't all these rich people, like... Isn't money like, nothing to them? <laughs> isn't, isn't, time, yeah, like, isn't time everything to them? Like, I, th- I think about that when, like, the dissolve went down and I was a billionaire. Like, well, I love reading this. Yeah, just pay them all to just keep doing it. I don't care if it's losing money. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised that doesn't happen more often. I'm assuming even if you have a ton of money, you like things that get canceled <laughs> because you don't have anything to do with them. But yeah, uh, last thing I'll have, um, I don't know how much I want to get into the mind meld scene. Uh, it now keep in mind when I saw that, I didn't know what a mind meld was cause I hadn't seen it. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Why is he pressing his head? And she's like, ah, ah, Admiral Nelson. Ah! Like I had no idea. Um, but did you know, Peter? Did you know? I forget if we've ever gotten to a mind meld on any of this. Uh, yeah, uh, the only thing, uh, the only thing that I've seen so far has been mind melds either succeeding as sort of a a gentle conversation or mind melds failing in uh, motion pictures. I believe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. In, in which uh, case, yeah. So Spock th- was the victim, so I was like, oh well, mind meld is sort of a. It's a more spiritual bonding kind of thing. And this, it's like mind melding is like fucking waterboarding. Yeah, this is the only time where the mind meld has kind of been... Because the whole point is like, hey, there needs to be consent because it is like <laughs> literally two people sharing the same mind. So this is like, again, one of those like, yeah, he kind of did something. And this was another Roddenberry sticking point. He did not like this at all. He was like, Spock wouldn't have like mind raped someone just to get information. Like, Vulcans treat that more seriously. So, it's it's kind of fucked up. Like, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, but... It is, uh, des- it, it is definitely against the spirit of the movie itself. Not even just the series. Like, the movie itself. Yeah. Um, so, if there's one thing that we can just cut out, it's like, eventually, he's like, I'm your commanding officer. I don't know. Uh, the last thing I'll mention is there's a line. There's so many good Kirk lines. Because it really is there... Their last raw, and uh, I'll actually use that to uh, mention the, the the last line of the movie, which I fucking love before the voiceover narration is, where they're like, hey, um, they're telling us we're done. Let's go in. We'll decommission the ship. We're, we're going to retire. And Spock has the, I think if I was human, I would tell them to go <laughs> to hell. If I was human, and then they ask for a course, and Shatner goes, second star to the right and straight on until morning. Like... Such a that was going to be my like, final thought. So now I'm just done. Moment. Well, I'll stop nope. talking about it. You can save what you think about that. But I just I love it so much. But also, I love when he realizes when Shatner realizes when they're on the prison planet that maybe he should have been even that part of his ideals is that um, rising above his personal prejudices to do what's right for the universe and the world and, you know, everyone in it. And there's a line that he says is like, 
Have I really become so old and inflexible that I've outlived my usefulness? And I think about that all the time. Like that kind of sentiment of like, as I get older, I don't want to be one of those people who's like, um, oh, yeah, I when in the in the 2000s, it wasn't racist to do that shit. So you kids are just overly sensitive, like that idea that you're not advancing with um, the times and not that it was OK back then, but that as hopefully society becomes more equal more progressive and that you are shredding your prejudices the second you realize that you have them and that you're always out looking for ways that you may have them in general. And I love that moment. It feels like a culmination of an entire series related to like that specific part of Kirk where he kind of realizes that. um, And then of course that's, you know, the speech at the end that he gives builds off that. But I just love that moment sitting in his like bunk When he, like, realizes that Well, I mean, it's him and Spock, right? Like, the two of us have grown so old and and inflexible. Because I love that. I mean, to me, it was probably the most resonating. But Kirk, doesn't it follow up, like, you know, he says earlier on, like, Spock says this is, like, a tremendous or historic event, and I'd like to believe him. But how can history get past people like me? Like something, like- yeah. That's in his personal log, right? Where I do think, like, he recognizes his prejudice, but he hasn't figured. I'm saying, can history get past it. people like me? And then Spock comes back and says, "Have we outlived our usefulness?" Yeah. I mean, yeah, it made me look in inward, right? Same reason you did, and say, "Jesus, like, I'm going to be that crotchety old good for nothing if I don't, you know, try and remain somewhat self-aware." Yeah. So I think uh, this is a good segue. We've been talking forever. It's been these these Trek episodes go like that. It's really partially my fault because I have so much. I've literally had <laughs> way too much intimate things to say about these things. So I'll just say that like this is the first Star Trek movie I saw. It was such a like a. Uh, searing memory of like just where I was when I was seven years old and getting this chance to go see this movie and feeling like I I wanted to keep experiencing this world and my esteem for the movie is actually only grown because yeah at seven when I saw this movie I wanted more action and less pontificating or less thematic resonance or less like like a mediation on old age has less resonance to a seven-year-old. Um, but I also love – the thing I love about this movie, and I said this from when we started doing Star Trek The Motion Picture, is that this may be the only like film series I can think of that actually – even though – only three – only a few of the movies are like truly like connected with direct continuity – they are all directed from a thematic standpoint, which is that feeling of growing older, moving on, and realizing maybe your best days are behind you, and Kirk specifically fighting that tooth or nail. And um, and it kind of – it's amazing how that ended up culminating. Not, I mean, I'm sure Nicholas Meyer and Leonard Nimoy, who really – I think have really keyed in on the themes of Star Trek better than most people – or at least the themes are the characters of this original crew really keyed in on like, hey, what what happens when that becomes actually a problem, an impediment? That it's no longer just you trying to figure out how to recapture your youth, but your attempt to stay in the milieu of society is causing issues. 
And I love the way that they they end that whole arc of these movies of Kirk finally accepting that it's time for him to retire, finally accepting that it's time for him to move past um, his his um, his uh, his his leadership his leadership his his way of, of moving about the galaxy and also sort of recognizing that some of the crimes that he's answering for are true that he is not infallible that he has made uh, mistakes not just in individual choices but in the way that he's approached his role in the universe and in the federation and uh that's i think ultimately as i watch this especially as i grow older myself um, I just feel like that's a really satisfying ending to a 12-year, six-movie arc. Like, it started with him being an admiral who had moved away from the thing he loved. And we spent five very entertaining movies um, uh, kind of uh, grappling with that until it comes to a very satisfying uh, conclusion. So... Uh, and while still meeting with those themes of Star Trek, which is we can always be better as a species and as people. And that's why I like Star Trek so much to begin with. It always kind of gave me that idea that you can be better. And that's a that's a worthy thing to strive for. Um, it is fitting to me that this was the first thing that I saw because what Trek meant to me was what this movie was getting at. Uh, through a culmination of a of a TV show and a movie series that I didn't realize it at the time. So, Peter, Bill, Peter, what was it like watching this for the first time? I, I think you kind of nailed it, but let me just throw a few other things on there. Um, I love the fact that uh, the, the, the Kirk is looking forward into the future and questioning his own irrelevance and questioning his ability to be a governable a um a, a person of uh considerable responsibility in the future um and the idea of this undiscovered country being a a place where um the actions that he takes right now today based on the prejudices he carries with him today um will have a uh, immediate impact on what the future holds, what the next generation has, the the kid, the son that he will never be able to guide, the son that he'll never be able to uh, live to see whether or not he was he was successful in his mission. Um, he he would have been able to see whether or not this undiscovered country was a violent one or not. Um, and the fact that the last scene, <clears throat> a culmination uh, from a plot that's entirely about sort of a military industrial conspiracy to create more war uh, is entirely about s- stopping a war before it ever gets started. Um, that it, it's about um, it's not about ending a war with more war. It's not about uh, <laughs> getting revenge. It's it's not about any of that. It's it's about maintaining and fighting every day for this sort of like space utopia um is is uh so perfect the fact that the ending is somewhat small all they're doing is keeping uh keeping a politician safe because his death means war um is uh is really powerful for me um especially uh paired with with the, the the shatner speech because 
uh, that is what Star Trek is for me. It's it's not just about uh, reaching a perfect future. It's about protecting a perfect future. So, um, Bill, do you have any final thoughts? Anything tech on? (laughs) After those two speeches? Um, I don't have much. Look, if we can't do Shatner speeches, why are we even here? That is a good question. I would say that to keep it simple, um, like myself. I was, I mean, not surprisingly, I I certainly had the opportunity to watch Star Trek growing up, but because I didn't have that guiding force to really get into it, I never took to it. Um, So I was proud of myself when I got to this movie, which probably was a little light on action and very much cerebral, that I really did enjoy it, Um, that maybe I had actually matured slightly beyond my middle school years and had the intellect of at least a (laughs) high school senior. Um, so that was exciting for me that I actually, you know, appreciated it for what it was. And so that's the one thing I'll take away from the six of what this one drove home. And then finally, just the whole old age piece for me was, I mean, probably not the, the driving theme, but to me is what I took away the most that, you know, I, <laughs> it's great to watch these old guys and say, do I still have it? I want to act like I do. I have the bravado, but I might not. Um, to me, you don't get that out of a lot of heroes. It's normally like the Sylvester Stallone or the Arnold Schwarzenegger who comes back and says, yeah, I'm 70 and I can still do this. I, I like the look of, you know, having your old guys come back and have to really evaluate. That's all I got. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And actually, that's a great transition because – one of the reasons, one of the ways which we're going to talk about where I think where the next generation movies don't understand that is that Picard in the TV show is always very cerebral and kind of uh, is like, hey, I'm, I'm an older guy. We, we're going to, you know, tackle this as a team and we're going to figure this out. And uh, all the movies make him an action star <laughs> who punches first and asks questions later uh, for the most part. Generations is the first movie is the closest to, I think, the Picard that we see in the show. So it's it's kind of a weird thing where um, they kind of – where Picard and his crew has a better uh, identity established on the show. And then they're like, well, time to make movies <laughs> where uh, when it came to the next generation, blockbuster movies, action movies, <laughs> where, uh, where I think – yeah, I think – I think the makers of these movies as a whole had a better idea of what this what's what's a good story to tell with this crew, uh, you know, almost a decade after the show went off the air for the first time. But uh, we'll be back to Kirk and Spock and McCoy uh, because we have some more movies featuring them and some more original series episodes to talk about later on. But now we're going into Next Generation. So if you remember when we first started this – because Peter hadn't seen anything, I tried to get him ingrained into uh, – in the original series by showing him three representative, considered pretty good episodes of the original series before we jumped into the motion picture. The thing about the first two, and really only the first two Next Generation movies, is that they are heavily pulling from aspects of the television show's mini arcs that happen throughout the seven years. So um, – for the most part, Star Trek is an episode – Star Trek Next Generation is an episode of the week type show. But it has these little arcs that run through it with certain characters. And Generations takes two of those arcs and uh, constructs plots around 
them. And so it made sense as, A, I wanted to set up some other things for Peter later on that he's going to see, as well as make sure he understands uh, why these two things in Next Generation mean anything, or in Generations mean anything, that it made sense to actually start with a kind of slowing it down type episode. And then do Star Trek Generation. So we're actually yeah, going to be... Let's put all the chess pieces in place before we, we head off into uh, yeah. into TNG zone, into Picard yeah. zone. Uh, I, 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 even though I'm just getting started here, I, I think that's the right move as well. <laughs> yeah, so what I'm going to attempt to do, if you're following along and you want to know what we're going to talk about. So next week, we're going to do that. We're gonna I'm going to show Peter 3 episodes of next generation that are representative and are really good also i'm trying to purposely place things that i think will set up some stuff later on as we get into other episodes like what i'm going to end up showing between uh star trek 2009 and some other stuff so we're going to do those three episodes we're also going to just establish it uh Next Generation has a real pilot that introduces both a uh, character that we're going to see a decent amount of, or at least a decent amount of for Star Trek Next Generation, Q. Um, and then it also is – it's the crew meeting each other where the original series pilot is just they, – they're already established. So we're going we're gonna to do Encounter at Farpoint. Uh, we're going to do the three episodes that I think are really good examples of the show, which are Measure of a Man, Yesterday's Enterprise, and Darmok. And then we're also going to tackle the first part of the arc that kind of has a culmination in Star Trek Generations, which is uh, the kind of Klingon uh, Klingon stuff. I don't, I don't know where Peter is at, so I don't even want to say kind of what the arc is called just yet. So, yeah, so we're, we're doing that, which is basically the Emissary, Sins of the Father, Reunion, The Mind's Eye, and then Redemption Part 1 and 2. And that'll be next week. All those episodes I just said, it's like nine episodes of television. I shouldn't say next week, next episode. We're going to be doing that. Introducing the next generation, walking through an arc that has a culmination in generations. Then the next episode, we will do generations. And we're going to do the other arc that is part of generations, which is the the uh, data part of Generations. <laughs> and we're going to watch... We're not going to do every episode of that because as uh, uh, Star Trek fans know, the culmination of that character specifically uh, happens in something else that won't make any sense to Peter until we get into First Contact and all the stuff that sets up that. But we're going to do the episode Lore. We're going to do the episode Brothers. And then we're going to do Star Trek Generations. And then we're going to do a similar extra bonus episode again before first contact there's a lot of stuff to set up before that movie as well and then um and then we're going to continue with um just going right we're going to do a setup episode with some stuff we'll talk about later we're going to do first contact uh and then we're going to do nine and ten with just one episode that thematically resonates do another slowing it down episode for a lot of stuff before star trek uh the 2009 reboot and then do um individual episodes and then i have some fun ideas for where we go after that we kind of continue the q arc through uh guest spots of tos actors a lot of things we can do that's not an episode by episode run of the series which neither of us have time for but i think there's a lot we can still go through so that's that's our overall plan for this like mini series that we're doing and those are our next two episodes if you want to follow along uh, but yeah, I'm not surprised this is three hours. This is such a fun show. Bill, I'm glad 
um, you and hopefully other people enjoy this. This is definitely a little bit of a change of pace um, than our than our, than we love to watch. But as you guys can tell, um, I can probably uh, just sit in a room by myself and talk about this stuff for literally probably a year. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bill, for coming yeah. on, man. This is a lot yeah, of fun. It was a lot of work, a lot of effort on my part, but I powered through for you guys. <laughs> yes, Thank you, Bill. Absolutely. Um, and as always, we'll see you. <laughs> Uh, second star straight on till morning straight on till straight on till morning but with a you because we're sad you won't be on anymore (laughs) you are not invited back have a good night everyone (laughs) I didn't say that I didn't say that Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches. Peter and Aaron. <laughs> Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>